Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. Uh, if you have your Bible, please open up to Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy 28. We continue our study here through Deuteronomy 28. Remember, this is the, the discourse of Moses, what he's saying to this younger generation that's going to pass into the promised land. This is uh, chapter 28, Deuteronomy. It is the longest book in the Torah. The longest book in the Torah. I, I, the, the number of verses. Longest book in the Torah. Chapter 28. 28. Remember those two numbers, 28, chapter 28, 28. The reason why is because this is where we get the the 2080 concept. When we see here in chapter 28, there are 68 verses. Now, 20% pertain to God's blessings as a result of obedience. And 80% pertain to disobedience and what the, how the Lord responds to disobedience. So when you see Deuteronomy 28 or think of Deuteronomy 28, just remember those two numbers, 2828, and then add the zero, 22080, 2080. We see 68 verses, 20% are blessings, and then uh, 80% are uh, how God responds to disobedience. If, if we look at verse 2 really quick, look at verse 2. Deuteronomy 28, verse 2. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. I love this verse so much. It, the Lord, like, you know, the Lord will blow you. You obey, the Lord will blow you away with blessings. And then so fast forward to verse 15, verse 15, but it shall come to pass if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which, which statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. See, so, it's, you know, balls in your court. I love it so much how the Lord just lays it out. The Lord lays it out through his word. He uses his vessels to tell the people. Old Testament, he uses Moses, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, all these beautiful people. New Testament, we see James, Paul, Luke. We see Jude. We see John. The Lord uses these vessels to, you know, messengers. And they say what the Lord puts on their hearts. Now, it, it, understand that these vessels that the Lord uses, the formula's got to be right. You know, if you notice for the past several weeks, perhaps even months, how we make heavy emphasis on a specific formula. It's very important to understand this concept of a very specific formula because it is true that God's word has very beautiful promises, very incredibly beautiful immensely beautiful promises. I don't have words to describe how how beautiful these promises are. But, but, but the formula must be right in all of us, in all of us. We have to understand this because, you know, remember when we were in the book of Numbers, we're studying the book of Numbers and Moses tell, the Lord tells Moses, Moses, tell the people to go in into Canaan and fight. And, you know, they sent their recon, the, the, the Moses sends the recon team, they come back, they're f- afraid, except for two, 
uh, they're afraid. And then they report to the people, oh my goodness, these Canaanites, they're huge. They're, they're giants. They, you know, they're, uh, 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 my head is the size of the guy's thumb. They're, they're huge. These guys are giants. My torso is the size of his, his ankle. These, these people are giants. They're going to kill us. And so what happened is that their fear became endemic to the people, to the camp of Israel. And as a result of their fear, they disobeyed the Lord. They says, you know what? We're not going to go because these, these Canaanites, they're going to kill us. They're too big for us. They're, uh, uh, we, we cannot overtake them. And as a result, the Lord says, okay, okay. Remember, he's a gentleman. He doesn't create robots. He's a gentleman. He says, okay. Now he tells Moses, Moses, tell the people this, because they disobeyed me, I told them to go into Canaan and fight. And, you know, I'm with them. So it's like, you know, yes, Israel's going to fight, but I'm with them. Have you ever been in a, I mean, not to be carnal, but if you've ever been in a fight before, but except you have a big guy with you, <laughs> it, you know, it's, it comes in handy, you know, and no disrespect to the Lord, but it's a very similar concept. Israel was going into battle. They were uh, told to go into battle, except what happened, instead of understanding that the Lord was with them and that, you know, the Lord was indeed with them, but instead of understanding that, they became fearful of the Canaanites. And, you know, so, and the Lord told them to go and fight the Canaanites. Now, when the people, as a result of their fear, Moses, the, the Lord tells Moses, okay, as a result of their disobedience, this 11-day journey in the wilderness, instead of being an easy 11 days, now it's going to be 40 years. That's heavy. That is straight up heavy. Remember, the, the Lord chastises those whom he loves. And this is heavy chastisement. 11-day journey turns into 40 years. And then when Moses told the people, when Moses says, okay, as he, he just he's just the vessel. He's just saying what the Lord told him. He's obedient to the Lord. He's not saying, well, okay, guys, you know, let, let, you know, let, let's just try to, you know, uh, wiggle around this rule and wiggle around that rule. No, no, you know, he, he's a vessel. And in obedience as a vessel, he says, okay, you guys, since you guys are afraid and since you guys are disobedient to the Lord, this is how he's going to respond. He's going to turn this 11-day journey into 40 years. Now, when the people heard that, the people heard that and they were like, oh my goodness, now we'll go into Canaan. Now we'll fight the Canaanites. Now, you see what's happening in, 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 in the mind. In the mind, what happens is the people are making this determination almost like a little, uh, you know, a, a, a little... Um, uh, they see, you know, as a result of their disobedience, how the Lord responds. And they say, well, you know, we prefer the 11 days. We don't want 40 years. We prefer the 11 days. So now we'll go into Canaan. But that's not what the Lord told them to do. The Lord told them to go into Canaan at the onset. Now in the mind, the people are saying, well, you know, since we don't want the 40 years, you know, it's kind of like cherry picking. It's, the, it's, I shouldn't say it's kind of like cherry picking. It's straight up cherry picking. You know, like, 
Lord, I, I, you know, I, I, I love you, Lord, and I'll be obedient to you. But these Canaanites, they're going to kill me. They're going to hurt me. And, you know, instead of believing your word, I'm going to believe my own eyes. I'm going to walk by sight. And I'm going to fear what I see with my eyes. And so I'm not going to go into Canaan. And then when the Lord says, okay, this 11, remember, he's a gentleman. He doesn't, you know, barge in and say, you know, you will, I mandate that you go into Canaan. And, you know, like all of a sudden the people are like robots, you know, like, you know, everything's robotic and they're moving as robots. The Lord doesn't make robots. I'm not a Calvinist. I'm not reformed theory. Now, little side note, if you're Calvinist reformed theory, I love you, but your doctrine is wrong. Come out of her, my people. What's happening among the Calvinists and Reformed is that the teachers are saying you can take the mark of the beast and you'll still be saved. It is directly, directly, it complete disobedience to the word of God. Now, if you're Calvinist or Reformed, I love you. Listen to our messages through Romans 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11. And then also listen to our message. It's called Do Not Take the Mark of the Beast because You'll hear a teacher, a pastor say, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. Unbiblical, unbiblical. So when I say these things, it's not just like a blanket statement like, okay, you know, your your doctrine is wrong. I mean, your doctrine is wrong, but we itemize and specifically indicate why it's wrong. You listen to such pastors and you take the mark of the beast, believing what they say. That's straight up hellfire damnation. That's straight up burning in hell. That's straight up weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I don't want that for you. So I say these things. It's not a blanket statement to say like, you know, you know, hey, you're wrong. It kind of is. You know, the doctrine is wrong. But we itemize and indicate why it's wrong biblically from the Bible. See, and so the the people in Israel, going back to our, our study now, the, the Israel, you know, Israel, or you know, they say, okay, you know, we don't want the 11 days uh, or we don't want the 40 years. We prefer the 11 days. So now we'll be obedient. You see, they're cherry picking. And then the Lord tells Moses, 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 tell the people not to go. Tell the people not to go because if they go, they're going to lose and they will die. Some of them will die. They're going to lose. So we see, you know, in one regard, you say, wait a second, in that very same chapter, remember our study in Numbers, you know, the Lord says, go into Canaan. But the same Lord says, don't go into Canaan. Did the Lord change his mind? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. The Lord did not change his mind. What happened is that Israel, they changed their heart. You see, When we say the formula has to be right, the right formula in that situation in numbers, you know, the Lord says, go into Canaan and fight. The right formula is, you know, okay, Lord, you know, we love you. We fear you. We know you're with us. And, you know, these guys are giants. Yes, they're big. You know, my head is the size of the guy's little pinky toe. And my torso is the size of this guy's wrist. And these guys are giants. And I'm scared. But I fear you more, Lord. And you know what? We're we're going into Canaan and we're going to fight just as you say, Lord. That's the right formula. The wrong formula in a heart is when the Lord says go into Canaan. And recon team says the Canaanites are huge. And with our carnal mind, with our human eyes, what we see, we see the giants. And then all of a sudden we say, nope. 
I'm sorry, Lord. I love you, but, and, you know, I say I fear you, but I fear these giants more. I fear these Canaanites more. These guys are huge. These guys, the, the guy could, you know, squeeze my head, take, you know, between his, between his fingers, the guy could squeeze my head and I'm dead. And, you know, Lord, you know, I fear him more than I fear you. You see? And that heart, that mind, the formula is wrong. You see? The formula is wrong in such a person. Now, when the formula is right, okay, go into Canaan. Let's, let's get it on. But then when the formula is wrong, don't go into Canaan. See, we, a lot of times people, it, it, it's, it's very important when we stress, we stress it a lot. The formula has got to be right because there are such beautiful promises in the word of God. Beautiful, beautiful promises in the word of God. But the question is, does this apply to you? Does this apply to me? Does this apply to us? You see, it's in- incredibly important, of the utmost importance, that the formula is right inside of us. Because the formula is wrong, all of a sudden certain promises can cannot, cannot, cannot be effectuated. Because the formula is wrong inside of the heart of the person. You see, because, you know, we, we look at the, you know, you know, uh, when the formula is wrong, just like the example in our study in numbers, the example where Israel was told to go into Canaan and fight. And all of a sudden the people are afraid and they don't go. That's disobedience. But then when they know the cost of that, that now this 11 days turns into 40 years, they say, well, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll suffer our losses. A couple guys are going to get killed. A couple guys are going to get beat up. And so, you know, we're afraid, but we're going to go anyways. But the formula is wrong because what happened is that, you know, they're cherry picking. You know, I, I'm afraid of the Canaanites. I, I don't like the, I don't want to uh, fight these guys, but I also don't want to be in the wilderness for 40 years. And so what they're doing is they're making, uh, they're cherry picking. You know, I like this, I like this, I like this, but I don't like this, I don't like this, I don't like this, I don't like... You ever know, you ever see people? Do you, do you, you might know of Christians, Christians who cherry pick from the Bible. You look at the fruit in their life and you're like, wow, this is, this is not holy. This is unbecoming. And yet, you know, that oh, you know, but God's promises, I lean on God's promises. It's like, wait a second. It's beautiful to lean on God's promises, but... Is that promise, is promise number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, is it effectuated in you? Is the formula right in you? You see? And a lot of times Christians get into trouble. Because I love the Lord, I fear the Lord. I do a little crack, I do a little sex, I do a little, you know, the strippers, pornography, the Buddha, I do the alcohol, I do the drugs, I do, you know, the Ouija boards, I do this, but I love the Lord. I love the Lord, I fear the Lord. It's like, wait a second. Jesus Christ is the one who says, if you love me, follow me. If you love me, obey my commandments. You see? My sheep know my voice. Those are his words. My sheep know my voice. And they hear. And we follow him. A formula must be right in all of us. We're in the same boat. Me, you, us, the formula's got to be right. 
Because when the formula is wrong, all of a sudden, Israel with the Canaanites, they say, well, we don't like the 40 years. We don't like the 40 years, so we'll go ahead and take on the Canaanites. And the Lord, God, he is the one who says to Moses, Moses, tell them not to go. Tell them not to go. You see, even then the Lord is protecting them. Attempting to protect them because what happens, Israel, they go into Canaan and they start to lose. They take casualties. Now, in the aftermath of that situation, in the aftermath of that situation where Israel suffers loss, is it because God lied to them? I hate saying that. But it begs the question. God says, go into Canaan. You know, go into Canaan and fight. I am with you and, you know, go in. And then all of a sudden, they come back. Israel comes back and they're licking their wounds. They were defeated. They suffered casualties. Did God lie? Is he playing tricks on them? These are things that Satan will whisper in people's ears. Look, God God says go into Canaan. God says you'll be victorious. But here you are, licking your wounds. You got casualties. A lot of blood. He said you would be victorious, and you're not victorious. And it's a seduction. It's an evil seduction. You see, and Satan will whisper in people's ears. The demons will whisper in people's ears. How could you believe in a God like that? He sends you out into battle and you lose? What kind of loving God is that? You see how Satan is? Satan doesn't want the formula to be right in any of us. And you see it because a lot of Christians, they attempt to go into battle. I shouldn't say they attempt. They do go into battle. Attempting to be victorious. But there cannot be victory because of the formula inside of a person, inside of the mind, inside of the heart. God didn't lie. God never changes. And God didn't change his mind. It was Israel that changed her heart. But that's Israel according to the flesh. Observe Israel according to the flesh. Flesh, 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 flesh. What about the believer in the Son of God according to the Spirit? It's the exact same. The formula must be right inside of you, inside of me. And that formula is a byproduct, a result of obedience. And here we are, Deuteronomy 28. A hardcore lesson about obedience and disobedience. That's why you hear us say from time to time, balls in your court. You know, the word is laid forth. Okay, balls in your court. Meaning we have a choice to make. The word of God is, you know, the word is the word. The word became flesh. Once a person, you know, if you're in a teaching ministry, you know, you teach truth. Don't candy coat. Just teach the word of God. And what happens, What's once the word goes forth, you know, the, the Lord, things are happening in the spirit realm. 
seeds go in ear holes. Now, what happens once that seed goes in the ear? You know, if you're listening, you know, turn with me to Luke 8. We always refer to Luke 8, and we're always going to look at Luke 8. But turn with me really quick to Luke 8. And in Luke chapter 8, if you're listening, believer, non-believer, lukewarm, hot, cold, this is what's happening right here, right now in the spirit realm. Luke chapter 8, verse 11. The parable, now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear it. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. If you're a non-believer, this is what's happening right now in the, in the spirit realm. Satan. Satan, the devil, Lucifer, Beelzebub, the serpent of old, who was a murderer from the beginning. The end of verse 12 lest they should believe and be saved. Satan doesn't want that. If you're a non-believer, this is what's happening right here, right now, as you listen. Now, we see in verse 12, those by the wayside. It's not those that are in the dumpster. It is those by the wayside, which is the road, translates as the road. If you're listening, and you're not a believer. The condition of your heart matters. Understand that the devil does not want you to believe. But even still, ball's in your court. Will you respond to this call of God, which is to repent and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Because God loves you. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to him. You're not a believer. Supernaturally, Satan, he is attempting right here, right now. He is attempting to reach into your heart to take out that seed, to reach into your mind to take out that seed. And he uses intellect. Oh, you're going to believe in these fairy tales. You're going to believe in these dumb Christians. Look, you turn on the Christian TV. You see the craziness on TV. You're going to believe in that. All stops. He, he, that's, he doesn't want you to believe. Now, I, I, I don't like, you know, you turn on Christian TV. I'm doing my air quotes, so-called Christian TV, tricking believers nightly, TBN, tricking believers nightly. I don't like it either. That is not biblical Christianity. I'm talking about walking with Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High. A personal love relationship with Him. You're not a believer because of what you see in the church, hypocrisy in the church. I say unto you, praise be to the Lord. That is hypocrisy. You have identified hypocrisy. I'm talking about you and the real Jesus. You and the Son of the Most High. You believe in Him. Don't let Satan take that seed. Don't let him take that seed. You have to fight. This is like the very, the earliest fight of any believer is this battle for your soul. I mean, there's more battles. But this is the very first fight that I pray. You're not a believer. And I pray this is your very first fight. 
and you believe in Jesus Christ, you repent, you believe in Jesus Christ, hit pause and listen to our message, how to commit your life to Christ, and you commit your life to Jesus Christ, you know what the Lord does? Little little flick, you know, how Satan is like, you know, attempting to take the seat, a little flick, bing, Satan's gone. Satan has no power compared to the Almighty. Satan has power, but he's not the Almighty. You believe in Jesus Christ. You're a non-believer, and you know you listen to our message. And ten minutes from now, you know, you get, give or take, you know, fifteen minutes from now, you're a fresh baby Christian. You're a brand new believer in Jesus Christ. You are born again. And the Lord, bing, little flick, bye bye, Satan. No more Satan. Now you grow. We have to grow and mature in Christ. Listen to our studies. We have, you know, the, the study through the book of Matthew. You know, Acts, Romans, get yourself caught up in our New Testament studies, the Colossians. I mean, you know, Matthew all the way up to Colossians. And we grow and we mature together. That's what's happening right here, right now in the spirit realm. Now, say you are a believer. Now we still have fights. You are a believer, but we still have fights. Look at verse 13. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, who believe for a while. This is a short-term believer. Once saved, always saved is unbiblical. I'm not a Calvinist. I'm not reformed. Calvinist reformed, I love you, but the doctrine is wrong. Short-term believer, once saved, always saved is unbiblical. Here you have a person who believes for a while and in time of temptation fall away. These This verse 13 is amplified in the last days because there's the great falling away as prophesied in the last days. And we see in verse 14, now the ones that fell among thorns are those who when they have heard go out and are choked with the cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. You see, it's having a mind that is not focused on the Lord. And then what happens? They get choked out. Verse 15 is where I desire all of us to be, myself included. I never want to teach at you or preach at you or sound preachy because we're in the same boat. I mean, if you're a believer, we're in the same boat. If you're not a believer, jump in. But there are specific rules to jump in. Specific rules. I'll give you my hand. Take my hand. But even still, there are specific rules. You must be born again. You see? You hit pause, you listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. You come back and boom. Boom. Welcome aboard. Verse 15 is worried. I desire all of us, but the ones that fell on the good ground are those who having heard the word with a noble and good heart. Keep it. Keep it. Keep it. You see? Not once saved, always saved. Keep it and bear fruit with patience. It's powerful. It's beautiful. But that is what's happening in the spirit realm, in the supernatural realm. When the word is taught, when the word goes forth, the seed is the word of God. It goes in our ear holes. And then what happens from that point? Balls in your court. How you respond to the word of God? Balls in your court. But understand that the Lord responds too. 
The Lord responds to obedience. He responds to disobedience. He responds to righteousness. He responds to wickedness. But very beautifully, he also responds to repentance. Repentance. If the formula, you're a believer, but if the formula isn't right with you, and you know it, because of the carnal nature, because of sin, because of the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the rock and roll, the whole nine yards. And you know it. And just like Israel going into battle, you're always losing battles. Battle, lost, battle, lost, battle, lost. Understand the formula is not right. That's a, that's a little indicator. You know, you're, you're, you're driving in your car and you see the oil lamp. Why? There's no oil. The little light goes off, little oil lamp. No oil. You're driving your car, you see a check engine light. Something's wrong with the engine. But the same thing applies to us as Christians. You know, no victory, no victory, no victory, no victory. That's like a little, something's wrong. The lamp is going off. Something's wrong. We got to check ourselves before we wreck ourselves. Make sure the formula is right. You know, no diesel and, you know, like a, you know, uh, uh, where gasoline is required, no diesel. Formula's got to be right. Specific oil. Fluids. Make sure everything's good to go. Specific formula. Same thing applies. Supernaturally, this is what's happening. The word goes forth. Now, balls in your court. My beautiful friend, balls in your court. And we see how the Lord responds to obedience and disobedience. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 28 now. For my Talmudic friends, uh, you know, we see this, you know, chapter 28. We see the 2080. Uh, now, you know, it's specific math. It's 20.59% it's is for obedience and 79.41 is for disobedience. Uh, but we just do, you know, we round to the nearest, uh, uh, I guess the 10th, we round to the nearest, so, you know, 2080. But for my Talmudic friends, I'll say this, 9 out of 10 to those who have ears, 9 out of 10 to those who have ears. If I ever find my way to Israel, Lord willing, I pray that I have the opportunity to have face-to-face discussion with you, face-to-face studies with you, showing that Jesus Son of the Most High is the Messiah. But for my Talmudic friends, we settle for what we have today. Together in spirits, 9 out of 10 to those who have ears. Chapter 28, Deuteronomy 28. Verse 1. Now it shall come to pass, if, 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 if. If you diligently obey the voice of the Lord, diligently here in the Hebrew is, it's two words, shama, shama, two words. It's, it's to obey, but do you ever, if you're a believer, you're, you're a Christian, you believe in Jesus Christ. Do you, have you ever been with a lukewarm brother or sister based on the fruits and then somebody who's white hot for the Lord 
And that's how this translates. White hot, not lukewarm. White hot. The lukewarm would be like, yeah, I've been a Christian for 20 years. I love the Lord. I fear the Lord. But, you know, I still get drunk. I still get high. I still get baked. I go to the strippers. I go to the prostitutes, the Buddhas, the occult. I stay my little white lies. Get my uh, cheap Disneyland tickets for my kids. My kid's got a beard. He's, you know, 18. He's got a beard. But I like to lie and say he's 10 years old. So I get my cheap tickets. And it's like, okay, you, lo- you, you, you say you love the Lord. You know, you don't fear the Lord. But it's like. You see the lukewarmness. And you have to look at the fruit. But then you look to your other side and you're like, whoa, this guy is straight up white hot. Whoa, this girl, she's straight up white hot. It's like, wow, this is like straight up like an inferno for Jesus Christ. And that's how this translates in the Hebrew. To diligently obey. Remember in our study in Colossians how we make reference of confidence in circumcision? There's certain confidence in circumcision. And it's not a prideful thing. It's not like, you know, I mean, when we look at Corinth, we always make this juxtaposition between Corinth and Colossia. Colossi. <laughs> we make this comparison. And not comparison for the sake of, you know, oh, you know, this, this bunch is bad and, you know, this bunch is good. I mean, in one sense it is, but, you know, yes, this bunch is bad, the carnal Corinth. But it's like, okay, let's get you guys cleaned up. Let's get you all fixed up. And this is how it has to happen. You take the lemon, you say bye-bye. It's for a short period of time. I mean, in the grand scheme of eternity, it's for a short period of time. Let's take this remnant and let's get everybody cleaned up. We got everybody cleaned up. Okay, now these people who were, you know, they were separated from the, the, the leaven. Now, if they're repentant, let bring them back in. You see? Bring them back in. Now, their carnal nature is not the influencer. The holy, but the remnant, that is the influence now. And then we go into 2 Corinthians. We get into uh, 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 Galatians, Ephesians, and we grow and we mature. I mean, there is the bad aspect of carnal Corinth. But don't let that bad aspect of carnal Corinth be a... A, a, a uh, such a downer that it's like, oh man, you know, like where, where this is carnal or maybe it's you. It's like, wow, you know, I'm carnal and there's no hope. No, there's always hope. There's always hope. Never lose hope. Once you have this understanding that yes, you are carnal. Yes, we are carnal. Even still, balls in your court. Balls in your court. Okay, what does the Lord say? Repent. Okay, we repent, we obey the word of the Lord, and all of a sudden, supernaturally, he cleans. As the saying goes, Jesus cleans his own fish. But that's how this translates. You know, this confidence in the circumcision. Now, circumcision, it's not of the flesh. It's of the spirit. My beautiful sisters in Christ, you believe in Jesus Christ? You you obey Jesus Christ? Behold, you are circumcised because it's of the heart. You see, it's not of the flesh. Listen to our study through Romans. You'll understand more. But we have to understand this. When we see this, if you diligently obey in verse 1, it's not like, you know, if you you like a little bit of this, a little bit of that, but you don't like this, you don't like that. Okay, so don't do those things that you don't like. 
But then these things that you do like or that are easy, yeah, go ahead and do these. No cherry picking. No cherry picking. Confidence in circumcision. Now, this is the law. I'm not advocating the law in any way, shape, or form. Listen to our study through Galatians, all of it, you'll understand. But understand that the Lord never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He never changes. I never change, saith the Lord. Read Malachi. If, verse 1, you diligently obey the voice of the Lord. Very interesting how we see here the voice of the Lord. Not, you know, what the, uh, you know, what, what, what the statutes say, even though it's implied, you know, the statutes, but the voice, voice, voice of the Lord. Very powerful. As new covenant believers, when we see this, voice of the Lord. It's, it puts things in a different perspective only to those who have ears. Because right now it's Moses speaking to the people. You say, that's the voice of Moses. That's carnal. You read the statutes. Well, I'm reading the statutes. That's not the voice of the Lord. Well, that's even still, that's carnal. I love how if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord. Now, just for that alone to be effectuated requires ears to hear. You see? And if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully, which is, you know, there are military terms here, which is to protect and guard in your hearts, in your minds, and to carefully do. It's not just being a hearer of the word only but to be a hearer and a doer of the word. And once this happens, to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today. Remember, the Lord is reactionary. He responds to obedience. He says that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth. And verse 2, and all these blessings shall come upon you, which is good. I mean, it, if there was a period there, it would be like, okay, that's, that's good for me, Lord. All these blessings shall come upon you, period. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm good, Lord. I, I, that, that's more than enough for me. But there is no period. All these blessings shall come upon you and straight up overtake you, he says overtake you now who doesn't want to be overtaken by god's blessings straight up overtaken not you know you're blessed of the lord straight up overtaken by god's blessings who doesn't want that every single person i know wants that even the non-believers you know people believe in their chakras their crystals you have conversations with these mostly female i don't know why but mostly females are into crystals i don't get it I don't get it. Maybe it's the fluoride. I don't know. But you have conversations with these gals and you say, you know, wow, you know, sure. Like, wow, it's possible to be overtaken by God's blessings, like straight up overtaken. Yes, it is possible. Everybody wants that to be overtaken by God's blessings. But let me ask another question. Who does want to obey the Lord? That's a different ballgame. 
you see. Now, understand that if if a person wants, you know, I'm gonna, I'll be carnal for a moment, and forgive me for this carnal explanation, but if a person wants a a neurosurgeon's paycheck, there's prerequisites for that. I mean, you can't be a straight F student, you know, like, you know, grade school, middle school, high school, college, higher, even higher academia, good grades, good school. I'm not advocating school, but I'm just giving a carnal example. Well, if somebody wants a neurosurgeon paycheck and say like the best neurosurgeon in the country, in the world, in the hemisphere, in wherever, the best neurosurgeon, you know, you want that paycheck? You got to do neurosurgeon stuff and not just neurosurgeon stuff. You got to do all the prerequisites, academia, the school, the internship, whatever, you know, everything, certification, board certified, passing boards, passing tests, passing exams. You you want the neurosurgeon paycheck, you got to do what's required. You want to claim the title of, you know, XYZ, you got to do XYZ stuff. You got to do the prerequisites. How much more with regard to our relationship with the Lord? Surely the Lord wants blessings upon us. God is love. But understand that it is sin that creates this separation from him. He wants to blow us away with his blessings. But that cannot happen with disobedience. If that that line is broken between God and you, there's only one way to him. That's Jesus Christ. There's only one way. Buddha ain't happening. Mary ain't happening. Hare Krishna ain't happening. Crystals, not happening. Chakras, ain't happening. There's only one way, Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High, and He made the way. Now that connection is made, you to the Father, through Jesus Christ and through Him only. And if you're listening and you still haven't heeded my call for you to repent and receive Jesus Christ, cut it out. What's the point? I've been down that road. There is no point. The end of that road is straight up death. And I was almost there, suicidal. Two failed suicides. I mean, I could say maybe three or four, but, you know, two real ones. The end of that path is death. Don't go down that road. And once that connection is made with you and Jesus, because sin separates us from God. And God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. One way, Jesus Christ. I'm just a messenger. Once that connection is made, you with the Lord, he wants to blow you away with blessings. But, 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 but. Now the formula has got to be right. No cherry picking. The formula has to be right. It's not, okay, I believe in Jesus Christ. 
I like the sex. I like the drugs over here. I like the strippers. I like the Buddha. I like the occult. I like to say my little white lies so my kids get into Disneyland for free. I get my cheap airline tickets. I got a kid with a beard, but I like to say he's 10 years old. No. The formula's wrong. How can the Lord blow us away with his blessings? When we are not blowing him away through obedience. You say, wait a second, that sounds like works-based salvation. It's not works in terms of like, you know, like the J-dubs, Jehovah's Witnesses, where it's like, you know, I got to get, you know, 10 converts today or else I'm going to burn in hell. That's works-based salvation. Now, if you're Jehovah's Witness, I love you. But, you know, the Lord doesn't speak through Watchtower. He speaks through the word of God. And not the Watchtower version. He speaks to the word of God. You come to Christ as well. You're J-Dub, you're Mormon, come to Christ. Come out of her, my people. You see how beautiful this is? I mean, if you've been listening for a while, you've been walking with us for a while, through our studies, through 1 Corinthians, through Colossians, and we make this comparison between grade school and it's like, wait, you know, we're here, you have preschoolers, kindergartners, first grade, and then you got, you know, you should have been in third grade, but now we got to go back to first grade. And now, you know, you see how certain things are effectuated. Once you get to this point, okay, now these are effectuated. Kind of like when you, when you go, you enroll in school or higher learning, you, you don't just jump into the 300 classes. You, the, the prerequisites are the 200. And even in the 200, the prerequisites are the 100, you know, English 101. And even then, you know, sometimes there are prerequisites to that. But once you have that and understand that, then you move on to, okay, now, since this is now effectuated, you are able to enroll over here. You see? And it's not works-based, like, you know, I got to get 10 converts or else I'm going to burn in hell. No. But... Understand that the Bible says, let us not be hearers of the word only, but let us be doers of the word. To hear and to do. The word goes in our ear holes. Some, you read the Bible, the word goes in our eye holes. Do you hear the word? The word goes in our ear holes. Now, balls in your court, balls in our court. How do we respond? Oh, but I believe in Jesus Christ. I did the altar call when I was 10 years old. So once saved, always saved. We've already established, my beautiful friend, we've already established that once saved, always saved is unbiblical. Luke 8. So now comes obedience. To obey the word of God. Brother James says, faith without works is dead. You say, you see, though it says works right there. So now we got to work for our salvation. But no. When Brother James explains that faith without works is dead, he explains it using Abraham and Isaac. And when you read the passages or the passage in Genesis, you see Abraham, he does exactly what the Lord tells him to do. Exactly what the Lord tells him to do. Abraham and Isaac and, you know, the Lord says this and then, you know, Abraham says, you know, here I am, Lord. He does exactly what the Lord tells him. You don't see works. You don't see him saying, okay, you know, I got to do this or else, you know, I'm going to burn in hell. The Lord says A, Abraham does A. The Lord says B, 
Abraham does B. The Lord says, see, Abraham does C. So you see in Abraham right there, he hears and then he does. He hears and then he does. He hears and then he does. And it was accounted unto Abraham for righteousness sake. Ball was in his court and he chose well. And it was accounted to him for righteousness sake. Same thing for you and me. As Brother James indicates using the example of Abraham and Isaac. It's not works-based salvation. Like we need 10 converts or else I'm going to burn in hell. No. But understand that faith without works is dead. That's belief without obedience is dead. There is no point in believing. You see, Brother James says even the demons believe. And it is true. Remember the, 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 uh, the demons to Je- legion to Jesus? You know, have you, have you come before the time? He said, you know, they, they, you see how they know the scripture? The demons know the scripture. They know the, the sequence of events. And they pose the question to Jesus. Legion poses the question to Jesus. Have you come before the time? You see, they know. They believe in Jesus. They know who Jesus is, that he's the son of the most high. But do they obey him? The answer is no. They believe in Jesus. They believe that he's the son of God, but they do not obey him. Let that not be said of us. Oh, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in Jesus Christ. But I also do my crystals, my chakras, the Hare Krishnas. I also do this, the Buddha. I also do that. No, it doesn't work that way. That's the wrong formula. You go into battle with that formula, you're toast, straight up. No victory. Just like we see in numbers with Israel and the Canaanites. Did God change his mind? No. The people changed their heart. The formula wasn't right. No cherry picking. I love this so much because we see in verse 2 that these blessings of the Lord will come upon you, he says in verse 2, and overtake you. Who doesn't want to be overtaken by God's blessings? That's not just beautiful. It's it's powerful. It's beautiful. It's overwhelming just the thought of it. Like what? Overtaken by God's blessings? Yes, 100%, 110%, absolutely. But obedience is required. And remember, the Lord is reactionary. Why are God's blessings, why do they come upon a person and overtake them? We see in verse 2. Because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Notice the voice again. Voice. Because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. You see? Whoa. Remember the Lord is reactionary. He responds to obedience. He responds to disobedience. He responds to righteousness. He responds to wickedness. And he also responds to repentance. Beautiful. I mean, we're just in verse 2, but if you're listening and you're like, wow, you know what? I'm kind of lukewarm. Repent. Repent. Let's get you cleaned up. Let's get you cleaned 
up. You hear me say jump ship? You jump ship? You 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 come aboard. I say welcome aboard. Remember, there's a, a specific door that has to be entered. It's belief in Jesus Christ. Welcome aboard. Let's get you cleaned up. And that happens from the word. Listen to our study through you know uh, 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 the Corinthians and the uh, the epistles and the Gospel of Matthew and and Romans. Listen. But don't just listen for the sake of listening, like, you know, you know, in one ear, not the other. No, in one ear and smack down into the heart. In the ear hole and boom, right down in the heart. And we yield to the Lord. That's called obedience. And being blown away by God's blessings and overtaken by God's blessings, it is a result of obedience. Now we look at verse two. It's, you know, why does this happen? Because you obey the voice of the Lord. But how does it happen? Now, how? No disrespect to the Lord. No disrespect to the Lord. But the how is kind of irrelevant. And, and, and no disrespect to the Lord. And no disrespect to you, my friend, because it's like, you're like, whoa, you know. What do you mean the how is irrelevant? It just happens. It just happens. It's the hand of God. When you start to question the how, the how beckons intellect, but the why beckons faith. I'll say that again. The question how, it beckons intellect, but the why beckons faith i mean you see israel the sea opens up there's dry ground before them and they walk on dry ground you ask the question how now intellectually what happens well the you know the circumference here the perpendicular here all these scientific you know the quadratic tables and whatever you know scientific tables and you know perpendicular circumference and you know measurement over here and here's these molecules over here you know the what is the final conclusion impossible how beckons into intellect but you see that happen, Israel, they're, on, they're, they're at the ocean, it opens up, there's dry ground, the Lord says, okay, walk, you know, walk, go through the dry ground. And then you ask the question, not how, you ask the question, why? Because God is love, he's taking care of his people. How beckons intellect, why beckons faith? You ever talk to have conversations with intellectuals before? Oh, Christians are so dumb. Look, I'm a periodic table kind of guy. And I'm not saying to abandon intellect, to take intellect and throw it in the trash. I'm saying take intellect and dethrone intellect. There is a use for intellect. It is intellect is a incredibly beautiful slave. But intellect is a very dangerous and deadly master. You see, intellect is not a prerequisite, but faith is 100%. Absolutely, faith is. I mean, don't forget, 
You take the, 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 the greatest universities. I mean, you know, take that with a grain of salt because they're liberal institutions now, liberal uh, 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 brainwashing. Uh, you know, uh, look at what's produced in higher academia today. But you take Harvard University. Harvard University, named after a Christian. John Harvard, back in the day. He was a Puritan, but we'll table that for another, another discussion. <laughs> the, 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 the Geneva Bible, which, you know, you look at Geneva, you look at uh, Salem, it's like, okay, you see the fruit of it. I'm not a Calvinist. But you look at Harvard University today. What's coming out of Harvard University today? The liberal mindset. The intellectuals, so-called, I'm doing my air quotes, the intellectuals. But then you see the fruit of their doings, and it's just utter stupidity. What happened to Harvard? What happened to Harvard? They forgot God. That's what happened. God became forgotten, which is common throughout generations. Common. It happens. It happens, you know, with the church. It happens with Israel. It happens with people. Maybe even you. If you're listening and you still, I mean, we're almost an hour deep and you still haven't heeded my call. Maybe you've forgotten. You might have a grandma, a great grandma who told you about Jesus Christ and you forgot. Look at Egypt. How the Lord saved Egypt. You say, wait a second, the Lord judged? I thought, you know, the Lord struck Egypt. Yes, he did. As a result of them forgetting God, because remember, God saved Egypt from the famine using Joseph, his vessel, a type of Christ. Joseph was second in command at the right hand of Pharaoh. You see? And the Lord saved Egypt. Egypt honored the Lord when they saw Joseph and realized, wow, Joseph is here to save me. You know, without Joseph, we'd be dead. Wow, you know, and then Joseph would say, well, it's the Lord. It's not me, it's the Lord. And so there was blessings on Egypt. Israel, you know, Jacob came in and resided in Egypt. But then in the course of time, another pharaoh, there was that generational break. Who told him about the Lord? Did he just figure, well, you know, through osmosis, you know, my parents believe in God. So by osmosis, I'm going to believe in God. What about the next generation? What about multiple generations? What about in Israel? I mean, we see these beautiful passages in Deuteronomy, but in the course of time, we're going to see generations forget. You know, we, there's no belief in Jesus. There's no belief in, in the Lord by osmosis. It's not like, you know, if you're a kid, if you're like 10 years old, 15 years old, and your parents are Christians, but you're like, you know, you're just going through the motions. You go to church because dad says get in the car or else, you know, you're, it's straight up, you know, house of pain. Get in the car or something to make you get in the car. So you get in the car. Remember, you know, dads, remember our study on Sunday. Don't be, don't provoke your kids to anger. 
You know, sometimes, you know, I get some feedback sometimes through the interweb. Like, oh, how could you sound so mean to parents? How do you say, how can you say that to parents? No, listen, parents need to count the cost. Parents need to count the cost straight up. Talk to the kids. I've had these conversations with kids. Confusion. They turn 18, they're out. They're like, boom, I'm out. You know, my house, you know, my house was like this. You know, they don't say my dad provoked me to anger, but they they you boil it down, and that's exactly what happened. Mom and dad, they provoked me to anger through this, through XYZ, one, two, three, A, B, C, and that's how it happened. Parents who forgot about the millstone. And kid goes out into the world, unprepared for those battles. The parents, oh, Satan is attacking Satan. No, 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 no. Don't blame Satan on that for that. Satan attacks the godly. But that's the flesh. That's your work, mom and dad. You see? But if you're a kid... 10, 12, 13, 14. Maybe you're an adult kid. Maybe you're like 20 or maybe you're just an adult 30. And you figure, yeah, you're a Christian. Being, oh, I'm a Christian because mom and dad were. I'm a Christian because great grandpappy was a Christian. We're, we're not believers in Jesus Christ through osmosis. It's a different blood. It's a blood that is not of this world. It's the blood of the only begotten son. His name is Jesus Christ. You need to believe in because what happens, Jesus can become forgotten. The Lord can become forgotten just like with Egypt. You know, the Lord saved Egypt and then the Lord judged Egypt. Why? They forgot the Lord. And judgment is coming. The wrath of God is coming on the globe. Why? Because People have forgotten the Lord. But the wrath of God is on individuals. Romans 1. Listen to our study through Romans 1. Why? Because people forgot the Lord. We don't believe through osmosis. We believe by faith. You see? Oh, the Holy Spirit makes people believe according to John Calvin. The Holy Spirit makes people believe according to Reformed theory. Understand that's Calvinism, Reformed theory. You read the book of Acts, you listen to our study through the book of Acts, what do we see? We see believers without the Holy Spirit. People who believe in Jesus Christ without the Holy Spirit. Oh, but I thought John Calvin says you can't believe without the Holy Spirit. John Calvin's wrong. But my Reformed teacher, my Reformed pastor... He tells me that the Holy Spirit makes a person believe. He's wrong because you have believers in the book of Acts. And the Holy Spirit had not fallen on them. They believe in Jesus. Without the Holy Spirit, they have religion. But this guy, my pastor, he has a study Bible. That's nice. He also says, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved, which is a lie from the pit of hell. That's what Satan wants. He wants people to take the mark of the beast. He wants Christians to take the mark of the beast. Because he knows. He knows the word. He knows that once that happens, he gets to take those people to hell. And that's what his servants work towards. Servants of the Lord, servants of Jesus Christ, they don't want that to happen. 
And they'll tell you all day, don't believe, don't take the mark of the beast, don't believe this, don't, they'll tell you to the blue in the face and they'll be threatened. But they'll, they will not tire of saying these things. Why? Because they're under orders. Son of the Most High. They're under orders. And they'll be threatened. Oh, if you don't stop saying this, we're going to kill you. That's nice. Go ahead. If you don't stop saying this, take my idea. We're going to take your head. Okay, that's nice. I don't want it anyways. But the people need to hear this. We're living in very dark days. Very, very dark days. I mean, you know, there was this... uh I'm doing my air quotes, but there was a financial catastrophe in 2008. Uh, the, the depression, you know, the, the financial crash of 2008. And it was a crash to a lot of people, but not to everybody. Certain people were aware. Certain people saw the signals and there was safety for them because they took proper precautions. But the ones who didn't take precautions, they suffered. Businesses closed, people lost jobs, people lost homes. People had to move. I mean, it was devastating, not for everybody. But we're at a time right now where, I mean, financially speaking, I mean, you know, these corrective measures are going to be taken into places, you know, from the Fed. It's not good. You hear us say from time to time, you know, uh, try really hard to live on 40% of your income because, I mean, what's uh, not good signals that we, we see happening, not good signals and um, certain pathways for relatively rel- relative safety, but even then that's not good. Now, I don't like talking finances because what happens whenever I talk finances, uh, people just come through the woodwork. Oh, uh, what do we do about this? What do we do about this? What do we do about this? You know, people who I never talked to before, you know, can you tell me, can we have a conversation? You think it's going to be like, okay, you know, you need counsel on this, you need help with this, you want to pray, you want to, you want to, you know, have like a little men's fellowship, you know, what is this? What do I do with my money here, my bank account? Ah, brother. Carnal, carnal, the flesh, flesh, flesh. I'm not a financial advisor, I'm a teacher of the word of God. The Lord uses certain things to rock people's world to get their attention. Be obedient to the Lord. Walk with Him. Abide in Christ. But, you know, prophetically speaking, there's not not good signals what's, what's coming down the pike. But even still, through it all, blessings can overtake a person. But when the Lord is forgotten, in any generation, when the Lord is forgotten, the formula isn't right. The formula can't be right because the Lord is forgotten. And Christians go into battle without battle gear, without the battle mindset. Satan loves it. Because he can defeat and have victory over Christians in spiritual war. He can demoralize the Christian. And then all of a sudden the Christian 
can start to wonder, wow, I believe in these promises of the Lord, but I never have any victory. That's why sound doctrine is of utmost importance. Remember, there are many Christs in the last days. One of the signs of the times is many Christs, but there is only one who saves. All the others will take you to hell because they're fake Christs. But there's only one where there is safety, not relative safety, real safety. His word is above his name. That's who we abide in. He is a strong tower. The righteous run into him. You see? And if you're listening and you're like, wow, you know what? I'm kind of lukewarm. Repent. You're listening and you're like, I've forgotten the Lord. I used to be on fire for the Lord, you know, 10 years ago and I'm wishy-washy now. Repent. You say, wow, I'm not even a believer. You know, I do the Buddha. I, I do the Krishnas. I do the crystals, the chakras. I do all these... Repent. Get in the boat. Get in the ark, we like to say. And the ark is Christ. Remember, God is reactionary. And when he responds, when you have eyes to see and ears to hear, when he responds, do you know what you see? You see his hand. You see his hand. Remember the intellect, the, the example we gave, you know, he, uh, the, the water opens, there's dry ground. You know, how does this happen? You know, the intellectual, oh, well, you know, let's measure this and the molecules over here and the, you know, got the atoms over here and, you know, all these molecules and circumference over here. Let's measure this and perpendicular and diameter and all these periodic tables and, you know, the iron elements over here. And they do all these. It's like, well, you, it's, you, you get lost in the sauce. You don't see his hand. But when the why beckons faith, you see his hand. Remember, faith can grow. A measure of faith is given to every man. It is written. And it's in these moments where faith can grow. I mean, picture Israel. Say, you know, let's get a time machine. We're in the camp of Israel. We're in bondage in Egypt. We're in bondage in Egypt. And it's like, wow, you know, we believe in the Lord. You know, but some people don't, but you know, we believe in the Lord. You know, some, some in the camp, they're a little wishy-washy. Kind of fed up with being in bondage, rightfully so. And I'm not trying to gloss over that. That's heavy. Remember our studies in Exodus and uh, pretty heavy stuff. And then all of a sudden, you know, we believe in the Lord. And then all of a sudden, you know, one day we're in bondage. And then the very next day, we're not in bondage. That alone, think of like how our faith can grow from that. Like, wow. Yesterday, you know, we we woke up in the morning and we, our heads were on the pillows in Egypt in bondage in shackles. We were slaves. And tonight we put our head down on our pillow and we are free. Think about that. I don't want to say stepping stone, but in a sense, a stepping stone, like what our faith, like we believe in, in the Lord, but now that we're out of Egypt, it's like, boom, like our faith can like climb to a different level. Our faith can grow. And we keep 
walking and walking and walking. And then all of a sudden we get to the ocean, we get to the sea. Like, oh man. What? We're at the, how can, where do we go? All of a sudden we hear a scream from behind. We look back and we see the armies of Egypt coming to kill us. The chariots, mighty, mighty army of Egypt coming to kill us. Did God lie? Did God bring us here to to die? I mean, carnally speaking, intellectually speaking, these are questions that would pop up. And when Moses goes to pray to the Lord, you know, Moses, look, you know what? Look at the, the Egyptians, they're right there. Moses goes to pray, and I love it so much. The Lord says to Moses, to Moses, he says, Moses, why are you praying to me? It's like, I mean, situationally speaking, look at what's happening. You have the water and dry ground where we're on. You have the ocean. And then you have Egypt coming to kill us. And it's like, whoa, like. And then the Lord says to Moses, Moses, why do you pray to me? And the Lord says, Moses, I told you to go forth. (laughs) (laughs) That's straight up ocean. So Moses puts his staff down and boom, the waters open. Whoa. Now, remember what we said earlier, that, you know, we woke up in the morning, our pillows, our heads came out of our pillows, we were in bondage in Egypt. The next day, we're free, we're not in bondage in Egypt, and we got a lot of people, and we, we, we walk, and we walk day after day, and then boom, the ocean behind us, Egyptian army, the chariots, the mighty army, and they want us dead, and then all of a sudden, from that alone, you know, a bondage and free, our faith grows in that, because it's like, whoa, you know, we always thought Pharaoh was God on earth. You know, we, you know, we don't recognize him as God. We, we recognize the Lord as God. But I meant like, this is like almighty. This is like not almighty, but like mighty on earth. But mighty on earth to the almighty, the real almighty, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, mighty on earth is nothing. Even the almighty on earth, who presumably almighty, such as Egypt, nothing. We look at like uh, prophetical books, the Battle of Armageddon. I mean, the Battle of Armageddon happens and you see the armies of Antichrist, you know, forming and they come to attack. You know, they, 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 it's, they, 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 they point their weapons at the Lord who's, you know, riding on the clouds. And you figure the Lord would tell the armies, okay, you know, like, you know, like, you know, prepare for impact. You know, you, you, you figure the Lord be like, okay, you know, brace for impact, you know, or, you know, do something, put shields up. But that doesn't happen. <laughs> you know what he says? <laughs> I mean, this is like the presumed almighty, lowercase a, the presumed almighty on earth, the forces of antichrist, which are, will be mighty in the last days. Not almighty, but will be a formidable force. 
And then they point their weapons at the Lord, you know, who's riding on the clouds. And you figure, you know, carnally speaking, you figure like, okay, they're going to be like a brace for impact. Or, and the Lord says to the angel, angel, I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, angel, call the birds of the air, you know, because they're going to feast. I mean, do you, do you, I mean, have you ever been in a fight before? I mean, not to get carnal, but like your mind isn't on, you know, birds, you know, <laughs> or if you're ever like, you know, you're in combat and you're like at the moment of breach, you know, your mind isn't thinking about birds. You're like, you know, battle ready, battle hardened, and you're prepared to, you know, to, 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 to get it on, you know, not to sound carnal and saying that, but that mindset, you're, you're prepared to get it on. The last thing you're thinking about is birds. But to the Almighty, He's not saying, you know, brace for impact, guys. He's saying, hey, call, call the birds, you know, you got this mighty army over here, this mighty, that's nice. I'm going to take care of these beautiful birds over here, my creation. I'm going to take care of these beautiful birds. Hey, angel, you know, call the birds over here. No brace for impact, you know, it's not, he is the almighty. Forces of Antichrist destroyed. Piles of bodies, blood for miles. I mean, prophetically speaking, when you make measurements through the through the valleys, you know, through the prophetic valleys, when you listen to our studies through the minor prophets. I don't know. I don't, I don't think we were recording back then, but our studies in the minor prophets. And you look at the everything at everything aligns perfectly measurement to the mile. All that distance, it's like a big feast table for the birds of the air. Forces of Antichrist, dead, defeated. And the birds feast. You see? Same thing with Egypt. Back in the day, Exodus. The Lord's like, Moses, why do you pray? I told you to go forth. I mean, he says to Moses... Of all people, Moses, you figure Moses would be like, you know, surely Moses. But he says to Moses, why do you pray? I told you to go forth. The ocean opens. We walk on dry. Remember, we went in our time machine. We walk on dry ground. Now, remember our faith. It has, we were, we were already had faith when we were in, in Egypt. But now we're out of Egypt. Now think, you know, our, the faith, just think of how our faith could grow like a stepping stone. Our faith could grow. And then now all of a sudden we're walking. We look to the left, we see ocean. We look to the right, we see ocean. Not just like ocean, like a straight up wall of ocean. We're walking on the on the seabed on dry ground. Think about how our faith, not like stepping stone. That's like, you know, multiple stepping stones. Like, oh my goodness, the hand of the Lord is providing safe passage for us. We get to the other side. And the chariots are following us. We look behind us and the chariots are following us. The armies of Egypt to kill us. And then the wall of ocean falls and kills the enemy. Think of how our faith would just blow up. Remember, intellect can't see these things. Intellect will be, oh, okay, let's measure the molecules. Let's do this. Let's do, you know, 
put a blimp in the air so we can measure the wind and all this, the apertures over here and this and that and the circumference here, the diameter of this, these atoms, these molecules and this over here, circumference, measure this diameter over here, what's the periodic table, the, the, the barium says this, the aluminum tables are like this and, you know, that's intellect. When we see the hand of the Lord through faith, that's how the blind can see again. According to the Spirit. That's how you and me learn to walk according to the Spirit, not according to the faith, or not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit in faith. Listen to our study in Romans and you'll understand more. Walking deeper and deeper in a love relationship with the Lord, Son of the Most High. Look at verse 3. This is part of, you know, how the, you know, when the Lord says in verse 2, and over the, the blessings of the Lord will overtake you because as a result of obedience. In verse 3, blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the country. Now you figure, okay, you know, like, okay, thank you, Lord, for the blessings and, but, it doesn't end there. Blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the country. Verse 4, blessed shall be the fruit of your body. You see, offspring, babies. Now, a little side message I have for my sisters in Christ. And I've had these conversations with sisters in Christ who cannot have children. And sometimes we have Certain studies and, you know, people reach out through the ether and through the, through the interweb. What does this mean? I'm not blessed of the Lord. I can't have babies. Does this mean I'm not blessed of the Lord? No, my beautiful sister. And I say unto you, observe Israel according to the flesh. And to my sisters in Christ, turn to Isaiah 54. Men too. But specifically, a little special special message for my beautiful sisters in Christ. Isaiah 54. Isaiah 54. <clears throat> Verse 1. Sing, O barren. It's like, wait a second. I thought, you know, barren was like not part of the blessings of the Lord. And I get here in Isaiah 54. Verse 1. Sing, O barren. Yes, sing, O barren. Remember, Isaiah had ears. Isaiah had ears to hear and eyes to see in accordance to the law, which points and points to the promise of Jesus Christ, the fulfillment. Isaiah understood these things. The prophets of the Lord, they understood these things. They looked forward to the Messiah. Sing, O barren, verse 1, Isaiah 54. You who have not born, exclamation point. Wait a second, I thought... I thought this wasn't associated with the blessings. But when you have eyes to see, when you have ears to hear, such as Isaiah, we can sing together. My beautiful, beautiful, barren sister, according to the flesh, according to the flesh. So how is it that we can sing? Sing, O barren, you who have not born. Break forth into singing, which translates as to make a joyful noise of triumph. How is, how is that triumph? I don't have child. How is that triumph? 
And cry aloud, you who have not labored with child. For more, 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 my beautiful sister, are the children of the desolate. Translate says children of the desolate and destitute. I tell you the truth. I see the highest concentration of the desolate and the destitute in adults. Sadly, in a lot of ways and many of the time, adults with children. Kids. Kids who follow carnal examples. And they're in trouble. Those kids are in trouble. Remember Korah? Our study in Numbers, remember Korah? Korah made his choice. But so did the sons of Korah. They made their choice. They say, okay, yes, dad's crazy. I'm not following crazy. I'm going to follow the Lord. And they wrote the Psalms. Korah was judged. The wrath of God came on Korah and all who followed him. Men, women, children. But the sons of Korah, they made their choice. They said, no, okay, this is, this is my dad. He's crazy, but I'm not following him. I respect him, you know, biologically, he's my dad, but spiritually, I, I cannot follow because I love the Lord. And that's what's so powerful when we read the Old Testament with ears to hear. Remember, we study the Old Testament as New Covenant believers. Not to be seduced into the law. Listen to our study through Galatians. But as new covenant believers. Isaiah could see. Looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. And as is written here in verse 1. Many are the children of the desolate. Than the children of the married woman. Says the Lord. Now biologically. A woman might have one kid. Three kids. Four kids. Five kids. That's biologically. According to the Spirit, you could have thousands of kids. Just like Paul. Remember how Paul would say, like, you know, you have 10,000 teachers, but no spiritual, but, you know, like, who's your spiritual father? And he would speak of the Corinth as like they passed through his birth canal. He's male. He has no birth canal. See? It's a straight-up rescue mission. And to my barren sisters, according to the flesh, according to the Spirit, save from the desolate. And according to the Spirit, have thousands of children, hundreds of children, because it's according to faith. Just like Chloe. Beautiful Chloe. I'm, I'm so in love with Chloe. I mean, how many times do you hear us reference Chloe? She's beautiful. How Corinth was straight up crazy town, but then there's safety in the home of Chloe. You figure, wow, you know, that there's a big church over here, this big church on Main Street, this big church on Broadway. Wow, surely the Lord is there. And there was a remnant, I mean, you know. But in Chloe's house, whew, 
That's like straight up warrior material in Chloe's house. Chloe, probably I can make a strong case. If you remember our study through Corinthians, if you've been walking with us for a while, you know, I can make a strong case of, you know, no husband. And, you know, make a strong case, maybe no children. Probably a fellowship of, you know, like a women's study. But you look at these motherly attributes of Chloe, this safety that was provided for those in Chloe's house. And it's very similar in context. And context. From a perspective of the Midrash, from my Talmudic friends, See, because it's according to the spirit. And I've had these conversations with the, you know, oh, does this mean I'm not blessed of the Lord? I can't have babies? Does this mean I'm, I'm cursed of the Lord? Does this mean? No. Are you, you, you you're, you're in Christ? You believe in the Lord? Yes. But am I cursed of him? Am I not, am I not blessed of him? No. Because it's a new way of, it's a new covenant. It's a new way. I don't want to say a new way of understanding because it's not new. It's a new covenant. I mean, these, I mean, the Old Testament is old. It's been written for a long time. But in the new covenant, to understand the old covenant in terms of bringing to Christ and in Christ, it's a, it's a new way of thinking because we're new creations. According to the flesh, no kids. According to the spirit, look at Chloe. According to the spirit, one, two, three, four, a hundred, two hundred, five thousand, ten thousand, a million. Rejoice, O Baron. You see? Rejoice. This world is crazy. Even churches are straight up crazy. Look at how Corinth was crazy town. The the carnal nature of Corinth, you know, 1 Corinthians 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, before the separation. But in Chloe's house, I mean, if I was a guest in Corinth, you know, we're in a time machine and we go back in time. Oh my goodness. I wouldn't want to go to the big church on Main Street. I wouldn't want to go to the big church on Broadway. Sure, there's like... You know, thousands of people there. And from a carnal perspective, you know, you look at it carnally, like, wow, you know, surely the Lord is here, carnally speaking. But once you see the fruit, whew, who's the pastor? Who in the, where's the elders? Who are the pastors? The guy with the skinny jeans, the highlights in his hair, trying to be cool. But then you go to Chloe's house. I'm going to fellowship right here. Because these are warriors, straight up warriors, hardcore. These are the hardcore believers. Like, you know, they, they, the confidence of the circumcision in Chloe's house. Sometimes, you know, we look at passages like, let's go back to Deuteronomy 28. Sometimes we look at these passages and like even in, like in, 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 in verse, um, in verse 4, blessed shall be the fruit of your body. And then all of a sudden, it's like, you know, barren according to the flesh. Sometimes my beautiful sisters get like, you know, kind of bummed out. Like, wow, you know, I can't have babies. Or old lady, you know, I've never had children before. Does this? 
Does this mean this? No. No. We study these things as new covenant believers. You believe in Jesus Christ? You know, be like Chloe. Multiple children of the faith, according to the Spirit. Verse 4, Deuteronomy 28, verse 4. Blessed shall the fruit of shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, and the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle, and the offspring of your flock. You figure, okay, okay, Lord, you've blown me away. Just like you say in verse 2, you have overtaken me. If I obey you, okay, Lord, if you stop right here, that's enough. I'm already blown away. But to God, it's not enough. He's going to do it even more. Verse 5, blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. You go, okay, Lord, you know, thank you, Lord. That is enough. That is more than enough to sustain me for the rest of my life, Lord. Just one of those things would have been enough for me for my life. But okay, Lord, thank you. But he's not done. And verse 7, the Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. Whoa. And verse 7, those who will cause your, you know, the Lord will cause your enemies, translates as those who hate you and are hostile toward you. And the Lord will cause them who rise against you, your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. Whoa. That's hardcore. According to the flesh, this is Israel according to the flesh. And you're going to see this when Israel goes into war and they win wars, they go into battle and they win battles. You're going to know why. So, wow, look at they got these buff warriors. They're strong. They got that. No, it's because they're walking with the Lord. The Lord is with them. But when they're disobedient to the Lord, when the Shekinah glory is not with them, not in the temple, not in the tabernacle, depending on, you know, what time period. You're going to see them lose battles. Oh, is it because they didn't go to the gym? It's because they got their little noodle arms? No, you got these big guys here. Big guys. Remember the census in numbers in both census? The first one, able to go to war. Second one, able to go to war. Able body, able to go to war. Strong, capable. So why did they lose? Disobedience unto the Lord. As a little side note, second census and numbers included women. Little side note for my beautiful sisters in Christ. Remember, in Christ, no male, female, slave, free, Jew, Gentile, rich, poor. We're all one in Christ. It's not like a universalist message. You listen to our study through the epistles, you'll understand more. It's powerful. How the Lord, he will defeat Enemies that rise up against you. Now, we observe Israel according to the flesh, but what about according to the Spirit? What about according to the Spirit? Victory. Victory in Christ. Now, remember, victory isn't carnal. I mean, you look at Stephen. Victory in Christ according to the Spirit. But he was killed. It's like, wow, how is that victory? Well, it's not to be seen in the flesh, and nor according to the flesh. But we see it in the Spirit and according to the Spirit. And you see victory. You know, 25 years ago, give or take a couple of years, 20 plus, 25. I read the account of Stephen and it made me furious. I was so mad. 
I didn't, I saw him as the biggest weakling. I saw his friends as the biggest weaklings. Why didn't they, you know, stage an ambush? Why didn't they fight back? Why didn't they, why, why, why? But I was a baby. I was immature. I could not understand the depths of the work of the Lord and these things according to the Spirit. I shouldn't say these things, but the fruit of the Spirit according to the Spirit and seeing these things in the Spirit. But today, He is the bravest of the brave, the most courageous of the courageous, valiant warrior in Christ. What changed? The Word didn't change. The Lord changed my heart. Different set of eyes. We have to understand these things. Because a time of testing is not just coming. A time of testing is already here. It's arrived already. Victory. Victory in Christ. We see this and this understand that there's another aspect to the spirit realm. In verse 7, they shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. Very interesting. Turn with me really quick to Matthew chapter 12. A little refresher course if you've been walking with us for a while. But in Matthew 12, we see this. Verse 43, Matthew 12, verse 43. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man. Now we read that like, whoa, this is so beautiful. A guy has victory. Victory in Christ because the unclean spirit has now gone out of the man. Victory, victory, victory. Yes, it's over. Is it over? Is it over? It is not over. Verse 43. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man. He, this is speaking of the evil spirit. He goes out, he goes through dry places, seeking rest and finds none. So this evil spirit was inside of a person. The unclean spirit goes out of the person and goes through dry places, seeking rest and doesn't find any, doesn't find none. And we see verse 44. Then he says, I will return. Very interesting. So you look at verse 43, you figure, okay, this is beautiful because the guy has victory. The unclean spirit is gone. Yes, praise be to the Lord. But is the fight over? Is the battle over? No way. Because now the unclean spirit, that demonic evil spirit says, you know what? I'm going to go back. I will return to my house. Notice what he says. I'll return to my house because, you know, they attempt to assume ownership. The demonic realm. I'll return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. You figure, okay, that's a good thing. Everything's in order. Victory. Look, the guy has victory. The the unclean spirit is left. The guy has victory. Praise be to the Lord. And yes, praise be to the Lord. And yes, there is victory. But this is just the first wave. This is just the first wave. This is just, there's multiple waves. 
This is just the first wave. And when he says, and put in order, how it translates is to be cleaned up, which is good, and put in order, which is good. But remember, it's found empty. Whoa. Empty. Which also translates as to take a holiday or to be on leisure, to be at leisure on vacation. That's how it translates. Now look what happens. The demonic tactics. The evil spirit in verse 45. Then he goes, this is the evil spirit. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. Very interesting. So that first wave, when in verse 44, you know, he comes and finds it empty, swept and put in order. It was a recon mission. The demonic spirit, the evil spirit, the unclean spirit comes out of a guy and you figure, or a gal, and you figure, wow, praise be to the Lord. Praise be to the Lord. And absolutely praise the Lord. The demonic spirit goes out and does whatever. I mean, you know, verse 43, through dry places seeking rest, but he finds none. And then he says, I'm going to return to my house. And when he returns, he doesn't return to dwell yet. He returns as a recon mission. Okay, he sees the house. Everything's nice and neat. He looks through the windows. Wow, everything's put in order. Everything's swept, put in order. Except here's the problem. In verse 44, it's empty. It's empty. Which translates as to take holiday, to be on vacation. Remember the evil spirit, he's on a recon mission. He's checking things out, scoping the place out. See? Then he sees, wow, there's nobody here. Then he backtracks a little bit. Then he calls for his reinforcements. Some of his buddies. Verse 45, seven other spirits, more wicked. More wicked. More wicked than himself. And then they enter and dwell there. Whoa. So the demon doesn't leave and then come back by himself. The demon leaves, comes back, scope things, scopes things out, little recon mission, peers through the windows. He sees, okay, it's nice and empty and everything's nice and clean. It's nice and empty. And he doesn't enter at that time. He goes back, calls his friends. Hey, guys, check this out. I got this place over here. It's Look, it's got this. They got a flat screen TV. There's a pool table in there. Nobody's there. It's empty. Come on, let's go over there. And these are seven unclean spirits that are more wicked than himself. And look what it says here in verse 45. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. You figure verse 43, the unclean spirit goes out of a man. Wow, praise be to the Lord. Yes, he has victory. But in verse 45, the last state of that man is worse than the first. And the Lord says, so shall it be with this wicked generation. This is hardcore spiritual warfare. And you see it in Christians. You ever see a Christian who's saved from sex, drugs, 
alcohol, whatever it is, and they're safer. And praise be to the Lord. But notice the evil demonic tactics. And then you say, wow, this guy's a Christian. This lady's a Christian. No longer on drugs, alcohol, sex, the whole nine yards. No longer Buddhist. No longer worshiping Mary. No longer this, that. Now, I say Mary because Catholicism is not biblical Christianity. If you're Catholic, I love you. Come out of her, my people. Because uh, according to, you know, even the uh, Catholic catechism, salvation outside of Christ Salvation through Abraham, that is unbiblical. If there was salvation through Abraham, then Jesus Christ died in vain. The very catechism of the Catholic Church is wrong. Doesn't line up, doesn't fit. Vatican I, Vatican II, catechism doesn't fit. And I say unto you, if you're Catholic, you're listening, come out of her, my people. But I'm a Catholic, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. Okay, jump ship. Because that ship is sinking. The Bible warns about seven hills. Come aboard. Welcome aboard. But there's a specific door you must enter. You too, hit pause, listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. The real Christ. Not the Catholic Christ. The real Jesus. The biblical Jesus, whose word is above his name. You say, oh, I'm offended, I'm offended. How dare you say that? That's another sign of the times. People, you know, the, the disciples ask Jesus, what are the sign of your coming? He says, many will be offended. Matthew 24, many will be offended. So you're listening, you're like, wow, I'm offended. Okay, you're fulfilling prophecy. You hear me say, oh, you know, you hear me say, you know, Catholic Catholicism isn't biblical Christianity. You worship Jesus, but that's not the real Jesus. Oh, I'm offended, I'm offended, I'm offended. Okay, Bible prophecy right here. Many will be offended. But the real Jesus says, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. And I pray that's you, my Catholic friend. I pray that's you, my Mormon friend. I pray that's you, my J-Dub friend, Jehovah's Witness. My non-believer friend, my atheist friend, I pray it's you. Because God loves you. Not willing that any should perish. We have to understand this aspect of spiritual warfare because you see it in the church. The Lord rescues a person. The unclean spirit goes out of a, a sex head, a, a druggy, alcoholic, whatever it is. And it's like, wow, you know, you see him worshiping. You see him praising the Lord. You see him rejoicing. You see her rejoicing and rightfully so. But two years later, it's like, wow, you know, this guy used to be a meth head, but now he's meth, sex, you know, the, the strippers, the gambling. Oh, it's like, well, he's, he's worse. There you go. Spiritual warfare. Fulfilling the word of, as is written here. Verse 45. The last state of that man is worse than the first. You see it. We're living the... These are biblical times in which we live today. Satan roams around like a lion waiting for whom he may devour. It's very serious business. It's a matter of life and death. In this life and the life to come. Even more so in the life to come. Understand we have to be equipped. There is victory in Jesus Christ, but it must be the real Jesus. And there must be obedience to the real Jesus. 
Because the real Jesus, remember, in verse 44, they were still in Matthew 12, but in verse 44, the evil spirit says, I will return to my house from which I came, and when he comes, he finds it empty. Boom. That's a problem. This is like the once saved, always saved crowd. Empty. It shouldn't be empty. The demonic spirit should come in and see straight up warriors. Straight up warrior, you know, lifting weights, sharpening the, the blade, you know, like I'm speaking according to the spirit, not according to the flesh. But straight up warriors, you know, like just, you know, weapons and all these things. So the spirit says, okay, this guy's not on vacation. This gal's not on vacation. Okay. I thought this was my home, but nope, this ain't my home. I'm not messing with that guy. I'm not messing with that gal. And if he does, say goodnight. Slaying in the spirit. You see? He peeks in the window, sees the warrior, says, you know what? I could take him. I could take her. But let me go get my, my seven friends that are worse than me. We can take him. For sure we can take him. But what he doesn't understand is that these are hardcore warriors. These aren't like, you know, milk toast warriors. These are like straight up like warrior warriors. They come barging in, boom, home invasion. Speak thinking according to the spirit. And it's on. It is straight up on. And they lose. Why? Because this person has been trained and equipped. They know how to fight. They've rolled around on the mat. They've learned how to fight. They've learned how to engage. Yes, they have shields. But this is a hardcore warrior class. And they have learned to engage, how to engage according to rules of engagement, which is found in the word of God. According to the New Testament, not Old Testament rules of engagement, New Testament rules of engagement. This is a warrior class. Now, speaking according to the spirit, but a little bit according to the flesh. You want to go to Milk Toast Church? You want to go to a church where the formula isn't right? You want to go to a church where the pastor's female? You want to go to a church where pastors on marriage number five and previous wives haven't died? All that, you know, we go grave soaking over here. You know, we'll, we'll just go lay on the graves and soak up this spirit. The pastor says it's okay. We'll go ahead. You know, the pastor says, take the mark of the beast. We'll still be saved. We'll go ahead and do that. That's not rolling around on the mat. You can't be equipped from that. Remember, rubber doesn't sharpen iron. Iron sharpens iron. You do so to your own detriment. I mean, have you ever seen a guy, seen a guy on drugs? He becomes a Christian. And praise be to the Lord. He becomes a Christian and maybe enters the ministry. Maybe becomes elder. Maybe becomes pastor. He's milk toast inside. No training, no equipping, no fighting, no rolling around on the mat. Oh, but he's got the pastor parking spot. And in the course of time, the rot sets in. 
Now you see, he's not just on drugs again. He's on alcohol. He's on the sex. He's on the strippers. He's on the prostitutes. He's on the gambling. He's on the Buddha. He's on the occult. He does the Ouija boards. He, you know, lies about ages so he can get cheap tickets to Disneyland for his kids. You want to be trained by milk toast? You're in trouble. The formula's got to be right. Remember, there's a special formula for us individually, but a special formula for pastors, a special formula for elders, a special formula for, you know, the pew Christians. And, you know, understand that in that formula, you're going to have young. You're going to have mature. But remember the rugby match? If you listen to our study through Romans, you'll understand the concept of the rugby match. The, the mature humble themselves to help the younger grow and understand. Now, leaven, elders, pastors, overseers, leaven, be watchful for the leaven. Because the warriors have to stay warriors. Now, when the formula is right and you have the warrior class that are trained, these demons... They, they will, as surely as the Lord lives, they will attempt. They will return and they will attempt to overtake. Except they cannot. They cannot. Why? Because this is a warrior. This is the home of a warrior. Who knows how to fight. You see? And so we read passages, let's go back to Deuteronomy 28. We read passages like this, like when we see in verse 7, Deuteronomy 28, verse 7, the Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. Very interesting. Seven spirits more wicked than the first. And when the formula is right, they flee before they flee. They're gone. Because the formula's right. And yes, this, you know, warrior class. And yes, we fight. We learn how to fight. And we engage. And we learn like straight up hand-to-hand combat. A fixed bayonets. We learn all these things about spiritual warfare. When the formula is right, it's not just you. It's the Lord in you and you in the Lord. Remember cheek to cheek? I mean, if you're listening for the first time, welcome. I should have said that before. (laughs) I'm a little late in welcoming you. But listen to our prior studies, Old New Testament, Old Testament and New Testament. Because you'll understand more, even more, and we grow together. On this big, beautiful boat, the ark, and we're just passing through. You figure, okay, Lord. That is more than enough. I meant verse 4 was more than enough. And then you added verse 5, and then you added verse 6, and then you added verse 7, and the Lord's not done. There's more. Verse 8. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses and in all to which you set your hand. Oh my goodness. To all in which you set your hand. Turn with me really quick to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1. Or Psalms chapter 1. I say Psalm chapter 1 because we're just looking at one Psalm. Psalms chapter 1. Now look at verse 3, the end of verse 3. And whatever he does shall prosper. 
the, the end of verse 3, Psalms chapter 1, verse 1, or Psalms chapter 1, verse 3, but at the end of verse 3. Whatever he does shall prosper. Now, you read that and you're like, like, how can a person even say this? Like, whatever he does shall prosper? You know, does that mean, you know, financial gain? Probably not. But, you know, the Lord gives as he gives. And this isn't like a, you know, wealth and prosperity gospel. Sometimes, you know, you'll hear, hear the, 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 the money preachers, they'll say, you know, God will bless you with finances. No, that's not what the Bible says. God's blessings are in accordance to how he blesses. Some people, I know wealthy people, they, they are in the field of business. Sometimes they're athletes, they're Christians, and they have a certain living lifestyle, but they bankroll a lot of ministries, a lot, a lot to the persecuted church in foreign countries. They live off 20%, 15%, 30% of their income. And the rest is just straight up going to the, the persecuted church. Food supplies for the persecuted church. We have to be very careful because a lot of times, you know, like, oh, we ate rich people, we ate rich people. That's a mentality that is that enters with the social gospel. But that's not the biblical Jesus. Remember Barnabas? His name was Joseph Barnabas. It was the apostles who gave them a mon- his nickname, Barnabas, son of encouragement. I mean, for, for apostles to get, that's like, that's hardcore. I mean, for apostles, they're straight up messengers of the Lord. And their nickname for Joseph is Barnabas, son of encouragement. That's hardcore because they see the fruit of the Lord inside of him. And Barnabas would sell all of his property and 100% of the profits he would give to the church for the work of the ministry. This isn't a money gospel, but that's what happens. This isn't like, you know, prosperity teaching. How many times do you hear us even mention money when it's outside of the word? Now, we see verse 3 here, Psalm chapter 1, verse 3 at the end. Whatever he does shall prosper. There are implications but understand too that how god blesses can be money can be anything the 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 most blessed people in the word of god the most blessed people were most of the time killed the most blessed people of the lord were most of the time killed so let's let's look at things you know through the lord's economy it's not, you know, creature comforts according to the world. Most, the most blessed people in the Bible are also the most killed. Nevertheless, it is written, whatever he does shall prosper. Now we read that and it's like, whoa, that, that sounds almost like borderline prideful. I mean, can you say whatever you do will prosper? Can, I mean, let's be straight up. Can you say that? What, whatever you put your hands to, whatever you put your mind to, wherever your feet go, wherever that is, you will prosper. Can you say that? I mean, according to the word, it doesn't have to be the finances. It can be with, with anything. Whatever you do will prosper. Can you say that? Not a lot of people can say that. I mean, you see it in Paul. You see it in Titus. You see it in Chloe. You see, you see it in Macedonia. Remember the Macedonian example, which remember our study in Ephesus. Where did they learn it from? In uh, the book of Ephesians. 
whatever he does shall prosper. Now, it's not to cherry pick. I said, okay, I'm going to be a Christian because whatever I do will prosper. So I, you know, I'm going to buy a lottery ticket, scratch the tickets, and boom, I'm a 10, I have $10 million. Because look, it is written, whatever I do will prosper. Look, it is written. That's cherry picking. Remember, we don't do that. We don't do cherry picking. It's not like, okay, I look at the Canaanites, I look at 40 years, and okay, let me cherry pick. I don't want the 40 years, so now I'll go into Canaan. No, that's bad formula. Whatever he does shall prosper. But look, now let's look at the formula. Look at verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. You know what that means? That means don't go to the carnal therapist that says, you know, here, take these drugs, take this, that, you know, do, do this, do that. He's ungodly. You know, you go to a therapist who's on his fifth marriage. Prescribe you these pills for, you know, whatever, X, Y, Z. Prescribe you these pills for, you know, oh, doctor, I have this problem with, you know, um, you know, something of the carnal nature. Doctor says, here, you know, I'll make you feel really good. This will help. Here, here, take these drugs. Oh, why don't you just get a divorce? This is the irreconcilable differences. Just, you know, get a, get, get, get a divorce. This isn't going to work. Just, you know, you have to, if you're going to seek counsel, if, if you're in the marketplace for counsel, of course we have the word of God. But if you're in the market for counsel, go to the godly. Seek the godly. Because they will give you godly counsel. Don't go to the, the garbage bin for counsel. Oh, you know, I, I need counsel here, so I'm going to go to my friend. He's alcoholic. He does crack. He does the strip clubs. He does the gambling. He does all these things. And I'm going to seek counsel from him. Nope. doesn't work that way. You can try, but don't, you know. Don't expect, you know, you follow that counsel. That, that's not good. The choice, balls in your court. Balls always in our court. The word is set forth. Balls in our court. We respond to the word. The word goes forth. We respond to the word. Now, how we respond, the Lord responds to that. Remember, the Lord is reactionary. You obey the word of the Lord, the Lord responds. You disobey, the Lord responds. You're righteous, the Lord responds. You're wicked, the Lord responds. You repent, the Lord responds. But blessed is the man in verse 1 who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly or the wicked, nor stands in the path of sinners. You see, oh, I'm going to go seek counsel from my friend. You know, yeah, he's very wise. He's very wealthy. He's very wealthy and he wants to meet at the strip club. So not only am I going to seek counsel from him, but I'm also going to be in his path. Well, look at look at already the, the little dings. You're walking in their counsel. You're standing in their path. That's not good. Nor sits in the seat of the scornful. That's like to be uh, dwelling in the scoffers and mockers. Now, look at look at what is already shaved off in verse 1. I mean, take all the people you know in this world. Well, I mean, you know, in your immediate circle, not like, you know, Everybody, but I meant like everybody in your immediate circle. And start shaving people off. Is this person ungodly? Is this person, does he stand or she stand in the path of sinners? 
is he or she in the seat of the scornful? That's probably going to shave off a lot of people. But as for you, look at verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. That's the mindset of such person, the, the blessed man. In verse 1, blessed is the man. I'll add woman. This is the mindset. To meditate on the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night and not advocating the law and saying this, understand that the law points to Christ. Listen to our study the Galatians. Verse 3, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. You see, beautiful verse, the end of verse 3, whatever he does shall prosper. But notice there are certain things which effectuate. In order to get to the end of verse 3, there are prerequisites. Walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. Stand not in the path of sinners. Don't sit in the seat of the scornful. Which is, okay, that, you know, remember, we shaved off a certain segment of your circle. And then what's your mindset? Are you thinking about the sex, the drugs, the rock and roll? Or is your mind, you know, is is what the things you meditate on, just as Philippians 4 verse 8 says, are those things true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy? You see how these... There are prerequisites which are effectuators of God's promises. And when that happens, when the stars align, so to speak, you sense certain aligning of the planets and what do you have? The, 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 the high tide waters. Same thing with us. There's alignment with obedience according to the word of God. In verse 3, he shall be planted like a tree. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. When these things are in place, the prerequisites, everything, little check mark, boom, 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 boom. And then whatever you do shall prosper. It's not to take this little verse here, this little part of verse 3, whatever he does shall prosper. Okay, I believe in Jesus Christ. I'm going to go buy 10 lottery tickets. And each one is a million dollars because the Bible says whatever I do will prosper. Who told you to do that? Oh, my friend, he's a crackhead. That's that's the wrong formula. That's That's not godly counsel. That's the path of sinners. Scratch the lottery ticket. Oh, I got nothing. Oh, I'm done with Jesus because, you know, the Bible says that whatever I do will prosper and didn't work. So, therefore, God is powerless. Oof, I don't like saying that, but that's what happens when Satan whispers in people's ears. Look, the Bible says... Whatever you do will prosper. And you believe in God. And you, you know, by faith, name it and claim it. Name it and claim it. Whatever I do will prosper. You know, I I declare this in the name of Jesus. And you buy the, the lottery tickets, nothing. 
You cash out all your savings. Buy all these lottery tickets. Boom. Nothing. Savings gone. Then you feel destitute. And Satan comes and whispers. Did God really say? First question in the Bible. Posed to Eve. Did God really say? God be so loving if his word says that whatever you do will prosper. And I got all this stack of lottery tickets and there's nothing. Got a couple bucks out of it. You took out all your savings and you got, you know, a couple bucks to show for it. You don't even break even. That's not a God of love. Why don't you just walk away? Why don't you just sidestep here? Sidestep, 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 sidestep. Here, come with me. You see this satanic seduction? But when the formula is right, you're not going to buy those lottery tickets. Because you're not even thinking about prosperity according to Adam. Prosperity in Christ. Just like the riches of Stephen, the warrior in Stephen, but he was killed. You see, he wasn't in wicked counsel. He didn't stand in the path of sinners. He didn't sit in the seat of the scornful. His delight was in the Lord, the fulfillment of the law. And he saw Christ. Make sure that not just the formula is right, but see things through a biblical lens, but the real word of God, the real Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. But understand the formula has to be right. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 28 now. And here we are in Deuteronomy 28. In verse 8, the Lord will command the blessings on you in all your storehouses and in all to which you set your hand. And that's when you referred to Psalm 1, understanding that the formula has to be right in order for these promises to be effectuated. But it's also not in accordance to Adam. Not in accordance to Adam. In Adam, there is death and we have died to Adam and we are alive in Christ, which is born again. Born into Adam, according to the flesh, born into Christ, and that's born again. You see? In verse 8, and he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Remember, remember our study in chapter 9, Deuteronomy 9. It's not because you're awesome. It's not because you're awesome. Don't get on a high horse and be like, oh, look how awesome I am. Look, I'm a Christian and I'm blessed of the Lord and I am awesome. No, it's not because of that. It's not because of that. Listen to our study through chapter 9, Deuteronomy 9. You'll understand. Verse 9, the Lord will establish you. Establish you is to confirm you. The Lord will do this. The Lord will establish you as a holy people. A holy people. Holy. Just like we study as New Covenant believers, koinonia, ecclesia, epesunagage. See? We study these things. 
to understand what holiness is and not holiness so that we can, you know, like observe holiness, but holiness so that we can be holy, set apart, consecrated unto the Lordship of Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High. And the Lord will establish you a holy people to himself. This is what the Lord does. The Lord cleans his own fish. He does it. It's supernatural by renewing of the mind. It is supernatural. But remember, it's not osmosis. It's not like, okay, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus Christ because, you know, Grand Pepe was a Christian. No. You don't lay the Bible on your head and by osmosis, it just soaks in. No, you have to read it. You have to hear it. You have to study. Be a Berean. Learn and understand and understand that the knowledge of the Word of God is in itself a gift of the Spirit. The Word of God is spiritually discerned. And all the, when the formula is right, all these things become effectuated, the promises of the Lord. Remember, numbers with Canaan, Israel and Canaan. The Lord says, go into Canaan. And then all of a sudden the Lord says, you know, don't go into Canaan. Did the Lord change his mind? No, Israel changed their heart. Oh, but the Bible says that everything I do will prosper. So I'm going to buy all these lottery tickets. No, bad formula. It is true that the Bible says that everything you do will prosper, but it is also written. There are many, it is also written. So many times Christians get into a lot of trouble because, oh, the Lord is leading me over here. And Christians get into a lot of trouble. Oh, the Lord is calling me over here. Oh, I'm going to go seek counsel. I'm having marital problems. I'm going to go seek counsel from this guy. He's on his third marriage. Whoa, three marriages? Whoa. I'm so sorry for his other wives that they died. He must That must have been hard for him. What are you talking about? He had irreconcilable differences. They're still alive. Well, he's, he's an adulterer then. He's an adulterer. He's in sin. That's a poor example. Don't get marriage counseling from that guy. But he's a pastor. Even worse. Because he should know. Even worse. And if he knows, even worse, even more worse. Why? Because he knows better. And now he wants to be an example. And now he wants to teach. Nope. Let not many be teachers. That's what Brother James says, inspired of the Spirit. Let not many be teachers. People think pastors is a popularity contest. The the godly pastors that I know, they're not liked. They're not well liked. They're very beautiful men. Men, men, men. Pastors, always male. No female pastors. No female elders. That's not the biblical formula. But the pastors who train and equip and teach and teach how to fight and not just teach how to fight, straight up teach how to be like straight up warriors. Not milk toast, not, you know, warriors that, you know, they can, you know, beat up little one-year-olds. No, I'm talking about warriors who can slay giants. Those pastors, they, you know, these are pastors whose lives are threatened because the enemy knows that guy's a threat. That guy trains Christians. 
to be like the Philippians and the Ephesians and the Colossians. And we can't have that, so let's kill them. See? But Satan likes the milk toast pastors. He likes female pastors where the formula is wrong. Why? Because, yeah, you know, there might be a, 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 a lowercase victory. There might be a victory. Yeah, the demon comes out. Freedom, you know, victory in Christ. Okay, yeah. But he knows that that demon's going to come back on a recon mission. And Satan knows that that, that little demon is going to go back for seven more that are worse than him. And the, the milk toast teacher, the milk toast pastor is not going to equip the saints to be ready for when these eight return. Remember, it's the one who comes back with seven, so a total of eight. The milk toast pastor isn't going to equip the saints to be ready for to fight eight. Have you ever been in a fight with eight people? Let's put things in perspective. I mean, one-on-one is like, you know, it might be difficult. Two-on-one? Even more difficult. Three on one, even more difficult. Eight on one? You better be hardcore. You see? And so we continue. In verse 9, the Lord will establish you, establish you a holy people to himself, just as he has sworn to you, if, if, If you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, if, very important to understand because, you know, what you're going to see, you're going to see people, you're going to see the elders of Israel, you're going to see the priests of Israel, you're going to see the Levites, the Kohanim, you're going to see Israel, you're going to see Judah. And they all make this proclamation, oh, the Lord is for us, we're the elect of the Lord, the Lord is with us. And then you're going to see them lose in battles. You're going to see the Lord judge them. You're going to see the Lord condemn them. You're going to see them powerless. You're going to see them slain. And it's like, wait a second. But the promises of the Lord say that they're established as a holy people. But when you understand the formula, it's like, wait a second. This behavior is not holy. And then you're going to know why. Whoa, this is why the Lord does that. You see? So these promises promises of the Lord are so beautiful. But in order for them to apply to a person, male, female, young, old, in order for them to apply, the formula's got to be right. Formula, 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 formula. It's got to be right. The ingredients, the recipe, it's got to be right. Old Testament and New Testament. Verse 10, then all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name, that see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they shall be afraid of you. You see, and this is Israel according to the flesh. Post Egypt, I'll say. Before Egypt, you know, in the Exodus, remember Egypt forgot the Lord. And Egypt forgot the Lord. They became afraid of the multitude of Jewish people, of Jacob, of Israel, and they put them into bondage. You see, when you're established 
When you're established as holy unto the Lord, holy unto Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High, and when you're established as that by the Lord Himself, don't expect friends. Expect to be alone. They want you dead. They'll hate you. People will want you dead. People will hate you. But remember the words of the Lord. When he's the one, I'm just the messenger. He says, remember, they hated me first. Let's look at verse 11. And the Lord will grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, and in the produce of your ground, in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. Now, you figure, okay, Lord, you've blown me away. But there's more. He doesn't stop. The Lord will open you, will, will open to you his good treasure. Whoa. Remember, observe Israel according to the flesh, according to the spirit. Don't forget treasures in heaven. Don't forget treasures in heaven. The crown of righteousness. Do not forget. People say there's multiple crowns in heaven. I understand why they say that, how they say I get it. You know, there's certain verses which say things about a crown. And I'm not trying to nullify those things. They're beautiful. But I don't think there's multiple crowns. I think these are all attributes of one crown. Don't forget treasures in heaven. The Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens, to give to give the rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hands. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And the Lord will, I mean, in order to lend, I mean, you got to have capital to lend. I mean, carnally speaking, if you're going to lend, you got you, you to gotta have capital. Think of the, the blessings of the Lord according to the flesh. In verse 13, and the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only. You see, Luciferians of the Crowley types, you know, as they say, you know, they say, uh, you know, as above, so below. That's a satanic saying, as above, so below. It's satanic. The word of God says you shall be above only. See, Satan knows the word of God. Satan, and he has his vessels that he uses. Satan knows the word of God. Very skillful and crafty. But we have to be Bereans. The knowledge of the word of God is a gift of the spirit. Not the greatest gift. The greatest gift is love. You shall be above only and not be, not beneath. If, 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 if you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, today, and are careful to observe them. You see how powerful this is? Now, when Israel gets off track, and we're going to see this in future books, but when Israel gets off tracks, gets off track, the, the priesthood, they have a job. Well, okay, let's get you cleaned up. Let's get you cleaned up. The, the Lord, through the law, has the the, the 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 mechanism, the means in place to get people clean so they are right with God. Remember, the covenant, the Ten Commandments was given three times. Three times. The first time, verbally. 
you know, orally spoken by the Lord. And then they told Moses, Moses, don't, do not let the Lord speak to us. You, you speak to the Lord and we'll do what you say, Moses. The, the Ten Commandments given verbally. And then the Ten Commandments was given on the first set of two tablets, which was destroyed with the golden calf. The third set of Ten Commandments, another two tablets, are not without blood sacrifice. You see, the law points to the Lamb, capital L, the Lamb of God, the Son of God. And so we see in verse 14, you shall not turn aside from any of the words which I command you this day to the right or to the left to go after other gods to serve them. Moses is saying, balls in your court. I'm paraphrasing, but that's the gist of what he's saying. Balls in your court, young generation. Balls in your court, my young brothers, my young sisters. Balls in your court. The Lord lays it out. And we're going to see when... Israel makes, they falter from course, speaking not course like, you know, carnally, but in course spiritually. When they falter, you're going to see the, the activation, so to speak, of the priesthood because they have a job to do. But then when they don't do those jobs, you're going to see how the Lord calls the prophets. Isaiah, Ezekiel. He calls the prophets, hey, tell my people this. Tell them to repent, 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 repent. Because those priests, formula is not right. The people, formula is right. How can the how can the formula be right in the people when the formula is not right in the priests? The Kohanim formula is not right. Isaiah, formula is right in you. You have ears to hear. You're tuned in to me. Do this. You see? Jeremiah. Formulas not right in the in the priesthood in the people and how can it be right in the people if it's not right in the priests and the elders and Jeremiah you tell the people this and you see when they say thus saith the Lord they don't you know thus saith the Lord you know God loves you you know thus saith the Lord you know let's let's you know let let's dance on lilies you know everything's gonna be fine and dandy no they say thus saith the Lord if you don't repent you know we're toast. If you don't repent, this is what the Lord is going to do. He sends these people to teach and to proclaim these messages that are His, that are belong to the Lord. They're just saying, they're just the messengers. And in some cases, they're very harsh. Where the Lord just lays it out, look, if you guys don't repent, I mean, the time to repent was like straight up yesterday and, and, and fast, like you know, years ago. But remember, the Lord is long-suffering. And through it all, you see his grace, his mercy, and his love. Isaiah, tell the people this. With Ezekiel, Ezekiel was a little bit more stubborn. Ezekiel's like, Lord, you know, you have these elders, use them. And then the Lord says, okay, you think these are elders are mine? You think they speak for me? Let me show you what these godly people, these so-called godly people are doing. And he says, you know, Ezekiel, poke your finger in this, in this, in this wall. And so Ezekiel puts his finger in the wall and then the Lord says, okay, now look in there. What do you see? And he sees all kinds of abominations that these so-called priests, the elders, the holy people were doing. Worshipping the sun. You know, doing their yoga. 
sun salutation, worshiping the sun. And then the Lord says, you know, Ezekiel's like, whoa. And then the Lord says, Ezekiel, you think this is bad? I'm going to show you something worse. And he takes him to another place, another location. Okay, Ezekiel, put your finger over here. Ezekiel puts his finger. There's a hole in the wall. And then the Lord says, okay, look through that hole. And he sees worse. He says, Ezekiel, I'm calling you. The Lord doesn't make mistakes. Understand that. Ezekiel thought, okay, Lord, you know, you have these priests. You have, look, you got the... We get a plethora of, you know, Kohanim. You got a plethora of Levites. You got a plethora of elders. Look, you got these people. They can do it. Lord says, you think they're holy? Let me show you what they're involved with. The Lord sees. Ezekiel, I'm calling you for a reason. We get this idea in our heads that pastors are godly people. Now, they should be. They absolutely should be. But I see in my experience the highest concentration of the wicked in the ministry. Because those in the ministry should know. Especially pastors. They should know. That's why James says, let not many be teachers. Let it, There's a higher accountability to the Lord. You see the money preachers. Oh, yes, you know, name it and claim it. You tithe $1,000, you tithe $5,000, and the Lord will make you rich because, look, it is written, everything you do will prosper. It is also written, don't forget, the formula's got to be right. And not to advocate a prosperity gospel. Because when the formula is right, you're not even seeking things of this world. Your mind is on heavenly things. Remember, it just so happens. It just so happens. It just so happens. We studied this on Sunday. Your mind is not even on this world. You understand that we're not of this world. You see? The preacher guy comes in. Hey, let's go grave soaking, guys. No fear of the Lord. Because they should know the word. And if they do know the word, then they are in direct disobedience to the word. And that's not good for the pastor. I'm doing my air quotes. The pastor. A guy stands at the pulpit. Nice smile on his face. Oh, look at his smile. I like his smile. But he's doing the sex, the drugs, the gambling, the strippers. And the Lord sees it. The Lord sees it all. Just like Ezekiel. Ezekiel. Ezekiel, you think these people are holy? Nope. Just like Amos. Amos, I'm no prophet nor the son of a prophet. And the Lord says, Amos, you're my guy. The, the formula is right in the prophets. In Isaiah, the Lord sees the formula is not right in Israel. The formula is not right in the priesthood. And the people need to be right before the Lord. So he calls Isaiah. So he calls Jeremiah. And even in that midst, you see little segments of the population. You see a remnant. Like Ruth. <laughs> like Esther. You see them like just straight up dancing. 
you see their beauty. Yes, it's in the Old Testament. And yes, it's in the law. But when you understand that in the law with eyes to see and ears to hear that the in the law, we learn trust a person, not we, but a person can learn to fear the Lord, trust the Lord, hope in the Lord, fall in love with the Lord, deeper and deeper in love with the Lord. Then you see these beautiful people like Rahab, Esther, Ruth, straight up dancing for joy. Rightfully so. It's beautiful. Let's look at verse 15. <laughs> but, but it shall come to pass if, 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 if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I, statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Whoa. I don't know about you, but I would prefer to be overtaken by God's blessings. And I'm going to venture to say you're probably in the same opinion. And if that's the case, praise be to the Lord. Now, in order for those things to be effectuated in us, God's blowing us away with his blessings. The formula's got to be right. You see? And through obedience... These things of the Lord become effectuated, but also understand that it's his handiwork inside of us. This is not the way of the lukewarm. Obedience is not the way of the lukewarm. Obedience unto the word of the Lord, yielding to the spirit. That is the way of the remnant. You see? And when we see in verse 15, it says that all these curses will come upon you. It's not like a curse like in the movies. You know, it's not like a curse like, you know, like, you know, it's like a casting a spell or anything like that. No, it's not like that at all. These are self-inflicted. Self-inflicted as a result of no obedience. You see, it's all in accordance to his word, according to his voice. The Lord says X, Y, Z, and a person chooses not to do X, Y, Z. The Lord says one, two, three, and a person chooses not to do one, two, three. And remember, the Lord is reactionary. He responds to obedience in a beautiful way, what we just read. I meant the previous verses. But in a terrifying way, when one chooses to disobey. Let's look at verse 16. Cursed shall you be in the city and cursed shall you be in the country. You see, it's we start to see the exact opposite of the blessings and more. Remember the 2080, 28, Deuteronomy 28, 28, 28. We see like 2080, 20% blessing, 80% cursing. Notice where the minority is and where the majority is. A little example, Old Testament example of a narrow way, a narrow path. Narrow is the way. 20%. 20, 80. 80 is much wider than 20. You see? And so we see here, verse 17. 
Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Now, I want to say something about Calvinists and Reform, you know, Calvinism and Reform theory. If you're Calvinist and Reformed, I don't hate you. I don't like the doctrine, but I don't hate you. You know, a lot of times I have these conversations with the Calvinists and the Reformed theory. But once a person understands that how the Lord is reactionary, how he responds, because in accordance to John Calvin, his institutes, that God predestines a person to hell for his glory, it doesn't match. We say the formula has to be right and the formula has got to be right. But remember the shapes, the triangle got to fit in the triangle, square in the square, circle in the scroll, trapezoid, trapezoid, you know, octagon in the octagon. Everything's got to fit. You can't take a triangle and mash it in a circle. You can't take a circle and mash it in a square. It just doesn't fit. God is not willing that any should perish. And people teach this. People believe that, 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 that God predestines a person to hell. That person had no choice. But we see in the Old Testament, New Testament, how every single person is presented with a choice. And the choice is, how does one respond to the Lord? Old Testament, they respond to the Lord in a good way, bad way. New Testament, they respond to the Lord, Jesus Christ, good way, bad way. And then the Lord responds. The Lord is reactionary. You see? Verse 17, cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Verse 18, cursed shall be the fruit of your body and the produce of your land, the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks. Cursed shall you be when you come in and cursed shall you be when you go out. It's, it's, you, 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 you see this in, you know, it, you see this in, in people and Christians. And we're going to see it in the Old Testament and you see it today. People who are on, a path of destruction. And you might know such people. They say they believe in Jesus Christ. But when you look at the fruit, when you look at the fruit, they might believe in Jesus. But do they obey? Have you ever seen somebody where everything they touch is just mess. It's like a path of destruction that everywhere they go was just destruction. They spend five minutes over here and then after there's like five years of destruction. They spend, you know, 10 minutes over here and it's 10 years of this destruction. Everywhere they go, everything. You're seeing the curse. A result of their choice. They might say they believe in Jesus, but don't forget even the demons believe. Everything they touch is just straight up mess. Behold the curse. Verse 20, the Lord will send on you cursing, is you know, the curse. Confusion. Now, you know, it is true that God is not the author of confusion. It is absolutely true. But understand that. In order for verse 20 to be effectuated, how the Lord is, you know, is sends on you the cursing and confusion. It's like, wait a second. I thought God is not the author of confusion. He is not the author of confusion. But when we read Romans 1, 
we see how the Lord, one of the saddest verses in the Bible, turn with me to Romans 1 really quick. It is true that God is not the author of confusion. But in Romans 1, verse 24, one of the saddest verses in the Bible. Therefore, God not just gave them up. God also gave them up. The fact that it is written, God also gave them up, shows us that precursory to this, the people first gave up on God. And understand, for verse 24 to be effectuated, it's not just immediate. It's not like a Christian uh, steals a candy bar and then all of a sudden God gives them up. No, a Christian steals a candy bar and, you know, is going to reap what he or she has sown and, you know, repent and, you know, make, you know, pay the the proprietor back, pay him and pay him double, pay him triple, pay him quadruple, just get right with the Lord, get right with, with, with the person so that the person can see Christ and understand that, wow, you know, this is, this is unusual behavior. And then, you know, I've done that. You know, to my shame, I say this, you know, I have stolen in my past. As a believer, in, this was like 20 years ago, as a believer, uh, 20, 21, 22, it was a while ago, but it was, you know, over 20 years ago. And I stole as a Christian. And the very second I stole, I was a baby Christian. Not to make excuses, but, you know, just let's be straight up. I stole as a Christian and I felt like dirt. I felt like such a dirt bag after that. And like the very thing that I wanted is the very thing that was like a curse. I didn't like the sight of it. I didn't like it. And so I go back to the person and I say, I stole this. I'm responsible. This I'm responsible. I stole this. I wanted this. And I want to make reparations, you know, get things right. And it was so beautiful for this person to see, not me, you know, I, I'm trash. But to see, like the reason that it's not like here, you know, I did this and, you know, I don't want to go to prison. I don't want to pay a fine. I don't want to pay a penalty. So here, no, it's, I'm a Christian. I should have never done that. And I believe in Jesus Christ. And I feel the conviction of the spirit. And here, this is yours. But for a person to know, wow, that, this is they see Christ, Christ in a person. You know, Satan. When Satan likes milk toast Christians, baby Christians, he doesn't mind. He doesn't want anybody to be, anybody to be a Christian. But if a person breaches that, you know, like when we look at Luke eight, when a, a person breaches that and they believe in Jesus, he doesn't like that, but he doesn't mind it. But what he does like is to take, okay, this guy's a Christian. But he'll send all these, the servants of Satan. Remember our study in 2 Corinthians? How Paul, it was his fear. He exposes his phobia. And he says, I fear for you, Corinthian saints, because the preacher guys are going to come in. They're really servants of Satan, but the preacher guys are going to come in and you might well put up with it. Remember? 
and these servants of Satan who present themselves as ministers of righteousness. Oh, I'm a pastor, but let's go grave soaking, guys. Oh, I'm a pastor, but let's call the glitter the Holy Spirit. Oh, I'm a pastor, but let's have our coalition books so we can teach replacement theology. Oh, I'm a pastor, let's have our study Bible so we can teach everybody to take the mark of the beast. They'll still be saved. Oh, I'm a pastor. Servants of Satan. And Christians who don't are, are not equipped. They don't learn to fight. They're not Bereans. They get sucked into these doctrines and they're tossed to and fro by all kinds of winds of doctrine. It happens. And so the world, they see the church and they're like, wow, I want nothing to do with, with Christianity because, you know, I, I, I turn on the TV. I see Tricking Believers Nightly, TBN. I go to this church over here. I see, wow, you know, it's like I'm going to a club. You know, it's like the guys behave one way. The ladies dress a certain way. It's like I'm, I'm at a nightclub. You know, if that's Christianity, I want that. I want to be holy. You know, I go to church to be holy. I, I, what, I don't even know what holiness is, but I want to clean up my life. And I want to go to church where it's clean. I go here and it's like, what is this? It's, it's like a nightclub. Guys over here, you know. Crackhead and sex head and you know these guys go to the strippers and these guys go gambling and understand that these behaviors of the flesh, the sex, the drugs, the rock, that's the old nature. Those people in church, people could say, This used to be me. This used to be me. This was my old nature. But not like straight up, you know, currently, like, you know, yeah, this was me 10 years ago, and this is me now. It's the same. You know, this was me 10 years ago, and you look, I'm worse 10 years later. No, no, that, that's not good. That's like straight up, you know, like what we looked at in, in the book of Matthew. Where, you know, the, 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 the unclean spirit leaves and comes back, you know, with eight, or, and the, such a person is still in church. Elders, overseers, pastors, overseers, be watchful. And so that a person can come to church and they're like, wow, I, I don't want this. So when you see the milk toast, carnality, Satan doesn't mind that. You know why? Because he can prevent people from coming to Christ by pointing at Christians. Have you ever talked to a non-believer? You tell a non-believer about Jesus Christ, but then their response is, I don't want nothing to do with Christianity because I see the hypocrisy in the church. I see the mess in the church. The guy's having sex with the teenagers. The pastor's having sex with the teenage girls. And I want nothing to do with church. Number one, that ain't church. That ain't church. Oh, but there's a pastor. That ain't no pastor. Biblically speaking, that ain't no pastor. Because biblical pastors kill wolves. Metaphysically speaking. You see? Oh, you're too harsh. You're too harsh. Really? How is that harsh knowing that straight up eight demons are going to return to you? How is that harsh? Eight demons, not the one demon that left. He's going to come back on a recon mission. But then he's going to go back and get his friends, demons that are worse than him. So you're not fighting the, the, the one that you fought before. You're fighting worse and not one worse, not two worse, not three worse, seven worse. Throw in the one, a total of eight. You're fighting eight. Warfare isn't like video games. 
Video games, you get shot and you know you get you get to live again. Real world ba- battle, you get shot and that's straight up body bag. You know, video games, you're just like, oh, look, I, I, I'm carrying this, I'm carrying that, I'm carrying this, I'm carrying that. That's the video game. Real life, you have 150 pounds on your back. That's serious business. 150 pounds on your back and you're going 30 miles on foot. And you feel the pain in your feet, your ankles, your knees, your hips, your back, your neck. And not just that, you still, even then, you still have to be able to fight, engage. It's serious business. The saddest part in the Bible, one of the saddest, is here in Romans 1 verse 24, God also gave them up. And these are a people who have forgotten the Lord. They once knew the Lord. They once knew the Lord. Verse 21 says, although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. How many times do you see in the epistles where Paul says, you know, to be thankful unto the Lord? Here you have people who are not thankful. You ever, you ever meet a person who's not thankful? You know, they never say thank you. They never, ever, ever say thank you. Which is one thing. That, that, that's just, you know, human to human interaction. But think about their heart before the Lord. Never thankful unto the Lord. And that's a bad path to be on. Although they knew God. Past tense. Verse 21. They did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. Oh, but God is sovereign. It is automatic that he is glorified. It is an automatic thing. He doesn't make robots. I'm not mocking the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. Absolutely. Absolutely. He is sovereign. The Christian needs to behave accordingly. You see? Verse 18 says the wrath of God is revealed against ungodliness. You know, revealed from heaven against ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. The wrath of God will certainly befall the earth. But it most certainly befalls mankind already. In verse 22, professing to be wise, they became fools. This curse that we see in Deuteronomy 28, it's alive and well. Understand that the law is over. The law is over, 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 over. The law is over only, only for a person who's abiding in Christ only. The law is not made for a righteous person. Let's do our study through Galatians. But once a person exits Jesus Christ, which we already established is entirely possible, Luke 8, short-term believer, once saved, always saved, is unbiblical. The biblical formula is once saved, stay saved. Once a person exits Jesus Christ, there's no safety. The law is in effect. The law is always in effect. But the only safety is in Christ. And in Christ, the law is over. But Satan seduces. Person exits Jesus Christ. The law is in effect. And if the law is in effect, it is also where is found the curse. 
It is also where is found the wrath of God. Now we see Romans 1. God also gave. This isn't immediate. You know, the, the, the earlier example, it's not like, you know, you steal a candy bar. I'm not saying go and steal a candy bar. But I'm not saying, you know, you steal a candy bar and then God gives you up. No, there's a process. You get right with the Lord. You get right with the proprietor. You pay him, pay him double, triple, whatever. Get right with him. Apologize. You repent to the Lord. And you are cleansed by the Lord. You know, your repenting to the Lord is beautiful because it keeps our hearts nice and soft. Not, you know, maple wood, not balsa wood, but nice soft jello. Circumcision. Soft hearts before the Lord. And we learn from our mistakes. You're going to feel that pain of stealing a candy bar. And so, you know, Satan's going to say, hey, steal this other candy bar. Hey, steal this car. Hey, steal this. You're like, no way. I felt the pain of that candy bar. No way. I'm not touching that. You see, you learn how to fight. You learn how to engage. Just through this little, this little uh, tournament with the candy bar. You learn how to fight. You see? According to the Spirit. So understand these things. The law is still in effect. Today, the law is still in effect. But not for the Christian. Not for the Christian who is abiding in Christ. You see? Oh, but I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Okay? You're a Christian. You believe in Jesus Christ. Yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm a Hebrew roots kind. Okay? Then you're outside of Christ. Because righteousness doesn't come through the law. If righteousness comes through the law, then Jesus Christ died in vain. Listen to our study of Galatians, you'll understand. Hebrew roots, I love you, but come out of her, my people. Very dangerous times that we're living in. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 28. In Deuteronomy 28. We see in verse 20, the Lord will send on you cursing, confusion. It is true that God is not the author of confusion. But when he gives a person up, I'll say this, when he also gives a person up, just as we studied in Romans 1, a person initially at first gave up on the Lord. Now, when a person gives up on the Lord, when a person gives up on the Lord, the Lord doesn't immediately give up on the person. That process takes time because God is not willing that any should perish. But there comes a time when God also gives up on the person. And that's when the confusion comes in. It is true God is not the author of confusion. But then it also begs the question, where is your position? Are you abiding in Christ or are you outside of Christ? If you're outside of Christ, get back in Christ. Get back to where you need to be. Let's get you cleaned up. And that happens through repentance and from the word of God. Let's get you cleaned up. But you are outside of Christ and you want to stay outside of Christ. That's not good. That's straight up confusion. It's the ways of the world. The ways of the flesh. The carnal nature. It's the way of Adam. You see? Confusion is the result of life without God. And it's, the godless are also found inside the church. The godless are also found in pulpits. Remember Paul in Acts 20, after my departure, he says to the elders, the overseers of Ephesus at the Miletus meeting, he says, after my departure, ravenous wolves will come in. Even from among you, you guys will be wolves. 
It's not to say, look how awesome I am because, you know, I'm here and that's not going to happen. But when I leave, it's going to happen. It's not to say, but it's not Paul saying, oh, look how awesome I am. But there's confidence in the circumcision. Paul knows that he kills wolves, metaphysically speaking. He knows, you know, what we looked at in, in Matthew 12. He knows this spiritual warfare. He knows that demon number one is going to leave. He knows that seven other demons more powerful are going to come. And he knows how to defeat them. Not to, not, not to deify Paul, not to exalt Paul. Paul is dead. Remember, he says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. It is to understand that it is Christ in Paul. It is Christ in Chloe. It is Christ in Priscilla. It is Christ in Achilla. It is Christ in James. It is Christ in John. It is Christ in uh, 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 Apollos. It is Christ in you. You see? We see here in Deuteronomy Deuteronomy. 28, verse 20, that the Lord will send on you cursing, confusion, and rebuke in all that you set your hand to do until you are destroyed and until you perish quickly because, remember, he is reactionary because of the wickedness of your doings. This is in the Hebrew, ma'alal, it's the, the bad works, the bad works, the works of Wickedness, not righteousness. Bad works in which you have forsaken me. And bad works is the forsaking of God. And Christians, we need to hear this. Bad works is the forsaking of God. You hear Paul say, you know, he mentions, you know, sex, drugs, alcohol, you know, all these things. He says, of which you were in these things. But now, you know, you hear us reference in our studies, past tense, past tense. Past tense. Where's the change? Where's the abiding in Christ? Where is the power of the Spirit? Where is the oil? Bad works is the forsaking of God. I don't want that said of any of us. Myself included, we're in the same boat. I don't want to forsake the Lord through bad works. I don't want you to forsake the Lord through bad works. I don't want any of us to forsake the Lord through bad works. But through bad works, that is exactly what happens. Oh, but we're not saved by works. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about our lives, my life and your life together. Our lives being a sweet aroma unto the Lord. You see, a sweet aroma unto the Lord. Maybe even some as a drink offering to those who have ears. Verse 21, the Lord will make the plague cling to you. You see, this, you know, do you ever see how chaos and destruction, it just seems to cling to people? It's just surrounded by them. And yet, the milk toast pastor. Oh, let's just love on them. Let's just love on these people. Let God take care of the rest. Let's just love on them and let God take it. Biblically, if God were to take care of it, he will give them over. He will also give up on them. Pastors who say that, oh, let's just love on these people and let God take care of the rest. When God takes care of carnality, it's not a pretty picture. 
It's much better for the pastor to go to the person and say, Hey, no more crack. Hey, no more sex, no more pornography, no more strippers, no more gambling, no more. It's much better for the pastor to pastor. It is much better for the pastor, noun, to pastor, verb. It is much better for the pastor to pastor, for the shepherd to shepherd, for the overseer to oversee. The formula's got to be right. You see, only the crucified can correct. Only the crucified can correct, like Paul, which means you better be dead. If you're going to correct another brother or sister, you better be dead. Otherwise, that is hypocrisy. That's not good. You see people, Christians, oh, you know what? Oh, this guy hurt my feelings. This lady hurt my feelings. And I'm going to correct him. I'm going to correct her. But, you know, meanwhile, you're a crackhead on the side. No. The formula's got to be right. Only the crucified can correct. It's not reserved for pastors only. Pastors, elders, they have an overseer responsibility. There better not be hypocrisy there in accordance with the word. It's not a threat. But I read the Bible. It's like, whoa, pastors better not have hypocrisy. So I'm just the messenger. Only the crucified can correct. You can't have a plank in your eye and correct a brother, correct a sister. A lot of times the, the carnal in churches, the babies in Christians will say, oh, don't judge lest you be judged. No, you got to take the plank out of your own eye so that you have eyes to see in order to correct. No hypocrisy. Only the crucified can correct. We continue in verse 21. The Lord will make the plague cling to you until he has consumed you from the land which you are going to possess. The Lord will strike you with consumption. This is where like sickness begins here in verse 22 with fever, with inflammation, with severe burning fever, with the sword, with scorching, translates as blight, and with mildew. They shall pursue you until you perish. Whoa. This is sad. It breaks my heart. It's terrible to see. It's terrible to read. It's terrible to understand. Why? Because when we get into passages in the Old Testament, you're going to see the building blocks. Oh, this guy's on the wrong path. This lady's on the wrong path. Oh, this guy is a threat to this other guy. Oh, this lady is a threat to this lady. This lady is a threat to this guy. You're going to see it and you're going to understand these tactics that the enemy uses to bring a fall, to attempt to cause a fall. And sometimes you will see the fall and we will see the fall. We're going to know why. And from a tactical standpoint, we're going to understand how the enemy works. Hard things that we're going to study. Hard things that we've already studied. But once you understand the tacticality of warfare, it will sharpen you. It will equip you. It will help you understand these things for your own battles. You see? And as you grow, as you mature, when you move, if the Lord calls you from pew to pulpit or field to worker, you will be equipped and able to help people in their battles and to teach people for their battles. You see, like a guy who's on his fifth marriage, wives aren't dead. You know, a fifth marriage, I could understand. I mean, I don't understand, but if I'm a little loose, I could understand it only if the prior wives are dead. 
they've died. But a pastor's on his fifth marriage that he's an adulterer. Standing at the pulpit and he's an adulterer. And he's going to teach, he's going to give marriage counseling? He's on his fifth marriage and his other wives aren't dead? I don't know about you, but if I was going to go to warrior school, I want to be taught by warriors. You see, I remember when I was a kid, I was, I grew up in the, like the Bruce Lee, Chuck Norris generation. And I was a kid. I was like, wow, I want to learn Kung Fu. And so I like, you know, karate, you know, so I went to karate class and, you know, I had my gi on and I was like, you know, learning how to fight and all these things. You know, it's not karate. I was like a little kid. But one time we're all there and the teacher was late. And he comes in, he comes walking in, and like, I was shocked. I can't speak for the other guys, but I was shocked. You know why? This guy was a straight-up nerd. I mean, he like came with his like pocket protector. He had like, you know, a calculator on one side, and the other side was his pens and pencils. He had his glasses on, and I was like, what? I'm going to learn how to fight from this guy? I don't want to be taught by a nerd. I mean, you know, I was carnal. That was me in my carnal state. I was a kid. And I, you know, I was like Bruce Lee, Chuck Norris generation. I, you know, I don't want to be taught how to be, you know, tough and fight by this nerd. So I dropped out of the class, you know. And if you're going to be a warrior, you better make sure that the formula is right. And whoever it is that is teaching you, pastor, elder, teacher, you better make sure the formula is right. Because if the formula is wrong, it's not just, oh, I like this guy. This guy is, you know, he makes me feel good. And I'm going to be, oh, I have this lady as a pastor. She makes me feel good. And, you know, I get, I get little good feelers in my heart. And, oh, yeah, I like to skip to my car when it's all done. We say goodbye. We hug. We embrace. And I skip to my car. I feel good. I want to go pick flowers and, you know, dance on the lilies. And, oh, I feel really good. Understand. Eight demons. At some point, eight demons are going to come a-knocking. Not, you know, Goliath, in a carnal sense, Goliaths. We're talking about even stronger, the spirit realm. Eight straight-up demons are going to return. At some point, they're going to come a-knocking. And if you're not ready for that fight... You're going to lose. That's like straight up no victory. Just like, you know, when I was a kid, you know, I don't want to be taught how to fight from a nerd. I mean, carnally speaking, I was just a little kid. You know, I want to be taught by the warrior. I want us to be taught by the warrior. Who's gone through battles. Understands spiritual warfare. Look at Paul. Look at Timothy. You know, uh, Paul's wingman, so to speak. And beautiful Timothy. You know, we're, we're almost at the, you know, the, 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 the epistles unto Timothy, the pastoral epistles. You're going to see how Paul speaks to the church, you know, in our study through, you know, the, 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 uh, the epistles that Paul wrote to churches. But you're going to see how he amps things up, so, uh, how he amps things up. When he speaks to the pastors, Timothy and Titus, it's a different ball. It's just like straight up like this is warrior to warrior. This is pastor to pastor. Specific formula for pastors and elders. We're going to see these things.
Because you go to church and you have milk toast pastor? Is the pastor training you for combat? Is the pastor training you for warfare? I meant straight up, you know, get down and dirty. Is the pastor training you for war? Or is he training you how to skip to my loo, my darling? Balls in your court. Balls in. We know what the word says. Balls in your court. You choose. Oh, that's so mean. That's so mean. Mean? What? You look at churches. You look at Christians. Laodicea. We studied that several weeks ago. Look at Laodicea. You think carnally speaking, oh, look, a nice church. People gathering. Look, a nice little look. They're friendly. They do skip to my loo, my darling. A nice little church. But don't forget, Jesus Christ is on the outside. Why in the world is he on the outside? You see? And that's what's so beautiful, how the Lord responds to obedience, how the Lord responds to disobedience, how he responds to righteousness, how he responds to wickedness, and how he responds to repentance. Because through repentance, it's like, boom, the Lord picks us up, airlift. Boom, right back to where we need to be. Boom, you're on the wrong path, straight up airlift. You know, and then boom, right smack dab to where we need to be, the narrow path. And that's the beauty of repentance. That's why, you know, the church in Laodicea, nice little social club. Everybody's friendly. They play Skip to my loo, my darling. But Jesus Christ is on the outside. And he says, I stand at the door and knock. And he who hears, not all of them, not like everybody. You know, if somebody opens the door, I will come into all of you. He speaks to individuals. He says, he who hears. He who hears, if that person opens the door and lets me in, I will come in and sup with not everybody. I will come in and sup with him. You see? Intimacy with the Lord. And that happens through repentance. Because he says to the church in Laodicea, repent. Jesus Christ should never be on the outside. But yet, in accordance to the word, He's on the outside of Laodicea. And we know the formula of Laodicea, of Smyrna, of Philadelphia. You choose. Balls in your court. Laodicea, milk toast. Those are the milk toast pastors, the milk toast teachers, the milk toast elders. Oh, you know, let's just love on this guy. Let's just love on this lady and let God take care of the rest. But we read Romans 1. Parts of it. When God takes care of, when people forget him, that's not a pretty picture. It's not a pretty picture at all. And then also in Romans 1, when you read the entirety of the chapter, we see the works of the flesh. You know, God gave them over. And then you see the fruit of that. What is manifested when a person gives up on God and God also gives them up? You see the manifestation of those things, the carnal nature. And you tell me those things are not in the church today? The church is in trouble. Because it is written, judgment comes first to the house of God. A big warning for churches. Warning for pastors. 
warning for those that are in churches of Laodicea, which is why you hear us say from time to time, jump ship, come out of her, my people. You see how in verse 22, Deuteronomy 28, verse 22, the Lord will strike you with consumption, with fever, with inflammation, with severe burning, fever, with the sword is scorching, uh, which is blight and the mildew, and they shall pursue you until you perish. You see people who are, you know, like in First uh, Corinthians 11, you know, turn with me really quick to First Corinthians 11. First Corinthians 11, when one partakes of communion, First Corinthians 11, verse 28, but let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you and many sleep or many have died. You see overlay. With First Corinthians 11 and Deuteronomy 28. And that's the danger behind milk toast. That's why Paul says, I'm afraid because you might well put up with it. Somebody comes in with another Jesus, another gospel, another spirit. He says to the saints in Corinth, you might well put up with it. Understand what you're dealing with. He presents himself as a minister of righteousness, but he's a servant of Satan. And the only way you'll know is when you're a Berean. And you know the word of God because a person could say, well, the Bible says this. You could say, wait a second. No, it doesn't. A person says, well, the Bible says you say, wait a second. Yes, it says that, but it is also written. You see? must be a Berean. Learn to make bread and store your oil because lamps are going out. We're living in a time where lamps, we're seeing it happen. Lamps are going out. Already. I mean, we didn't even start. I mean, the events of the last days, I mean, certain things have started. But like the 70th week of Daniel could happen very soon. Could happen very soon. A little side note, not to get ahead of myself, but a little side mention. For the very first time, this has never happened with previous accords, with the Oslo Accords, with the Geneva Accords, never happened. But for the very first time, there is a, a proposal going to the United Nations for the very first time. This has never happened before. The very first time. And it's happening this week. This week. That there is a proposal at the United Nations for a confederation, confederation of nations of uh, Israeli-Palestinian confederation, which allows for Jewish settlements, which, you know, it's, it's, a, 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 it's not a, a two-state solution. It's more of a confederation. And it's very interesting that we see this wording because in accordance to the Hebrew, in uh, uh, Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, he shall confirm the covenant with many. He shall confirm the covenant. It's berith in the Hebrew, which specifically means a confederacy. 
a confederacy. And for the very first time, this proposal is being sent to the UN this week for review. And included in this confederation are the, 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 in, instead of a two-state solution, it's more of the, the confederate model, the confederacy. And it allows for settlers to remain in the West Bank, you know, let those be in Judea, let those in Judea, remember Matthew 24. It's very interesting. Very interesting that we're living in such a time that we see these things happening. And it specifically mentions that it's not based on uh, the dual narrative of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, but it is, quote, it predates the creation of the state of Israel and even goes back to biblical times. It's, 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 it's like a building on top of to supplement the Abraham Accords, we've never. This has never happened before. This Confederacy never happened before. the The framework of this Confederation, it quote, it allows for the umbrella. It, it has the umbrella that quote allows us to go into the very sensitive nerves of history. You know. Whenever you hear people talk about, you know, the Middle East peace and Israel-Palestinian conflict and peace with Israel-Palestine, and you hear them speak of very sensitive subject matter, you know what they're speaking of? The Temple Mount. That's what they're speaking of. That's like straight up Third Temple material. And as a side note, the Third Temple is being prefabricated. As another side note... Red heifer is being bioengineered. They already have qualifying red heifers. Heifers, they just have to wait for a certain uh, a number of years. And there are Orthodox Jews who are going, you know, uh, uh, rabbis who are going into farming communities across the globe, United States, European areas. They're going to the farming communities, specifically indicating to the farmers that if you have a red heifer, kind of like handing out a business card. You know, these are the qualifications for a red heifer. But, you know, if you have a red heifer, let us know. Like, you know, here's our card. Call us. And then they send out these rabbinical uh, 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 priests to go and inspect the, the cattle. That's what's happening today. We've never had this before. In all prior accords, Oslo, Geneva, uh, Annapolis, we've never had these where it's specifically mentioned as a, a confederacy which addresses these sensitive matters such as the Temple Mount and Judea. But for such a time as this, this proposal is going forth, which it aligns. This is the very first time. There are prior accords where it just didn't align. I mean, the, the, the peace that I understand that, Oslo, I understand that, but there were these other aspects where it's like, okay, this just doesn't fit. But this is the very first time. It could be that there's going to be other accords. It could be that this isn't going to work out. But it could also be that this is the one. The beginning of the 70th week of Daniel. It could be. I mean, of course, everything has to be agreed upon. They have to gather nations. But if this happens, if this confederacy comes to pass and it is agreed upon and it is signed... Among that group of nations will be found the Antichrist. 
And that's the beginning of the final seven years of world history. There have been times before where certain things popped up and I don't want to freak anybody out. I don't want to scare anybody. This is also the first time that something like this has arisen. And for me to not say something where I would be disobedient unto the Lord. You see? These days are evil. The deception's going to get worse and worse. And we haven't even started. Look, lamps are going out. We haven't even started. Lamps are straight up going out. No oil for their lamps. False doctrine. Everything. The scriptures are aligning perfectly to what we see geopolitically in the Middle East with Israel. We see love is waxing cold. We see ethnos against ethnos. We see it. We see it just so happens that the, the government, that government has this mandated injection in your body. It just so happens that governments, world governments are mandated, mandating you can't buy or sell, you can't work unless you have this injection in your body. I'm not saying that, you know, vaccines are the mark of the beast. But you have world governments saying, if you do not have this, you can't work. You can't buy or sell. What happens when it becomes biotechnology, what governments mandating these things be put in the body or on the body? We're in biblical times. Confederacy, never been proposed before. And specifically written in this confederacy, it bypasses the two-state solution and goes back into when they say biblical times, it goes back to Abraham. They specifically mention Abraham. You have the Pope who goes into Arab countries and bringing together the family. The goal is to bring together the families of Abraham. But it just so happens that the Pope forgets Israel. Is Israel not part of Abraham? Don't forget. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. And all of Israel shall be saved. The formula's got to be right. You say, wait a second, what about the church? The branch doesn't support the root. The root supports the branch. The root of Jesse. Where are the sons of Issachar? Where are the pastors? Where are the elders? Powerful. It's. I've never been more terrified for saints. I've never been more worried for Christians than today for such a time as this. Never more worried for the house of God, for Christians. My brothers and sisters across the globe. I've been worried before in the past, but this is like, this takes the cake. Because everybody's asleep. Study Bible says, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. Coalition says, you know, uh, God is done with Israel, replacement theology. 
People say glitters the Holy Spirit. Let's go grave soaking. You see? Very, very dangerous times. You have people, you know, come out against certain political parties. They say, oh, don't vote for this guy. Don't vote for this guy. Look, he's too brash. He hurts our feelings. Let's vote for this guy. And what they're doing is they're voting for the advancement of Gog and Magog. To my liberal Christians, I love you. Don't follow your feelings. The, the whole follow your heart thing, that's satanic. We follow the word of God. The heart is desperately wicked. Oh, I can't vote for this guy. He's, he's too mean. He's too mean. And But I'll vote for this guy who will advance Gog and Magog. Satan is so tricky. So tricky. Abortion? Babies in Israel. That's my criteria for voting. Babies in Israel. You see? Pro-baby, I like you. Pro-Israel, I like you. Why? Because I'm a Christian. I don't want milk toast. I don't want to be trained by the, 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 the nerd karate teacher. Metaphysically speaking, but I gave you the example. Very troublesome times. And the church is asleep. For the very first time, this confederacy is going to the UN. We'll see what happens when it gets to the UN. I mean, people will probably put their spin on it. People will add this, add this. It could be like, you know, decades. Or it could be pretty quick. Could be this year. Some peace agreement signed this year. I could never say that before. I could never say like, okay, this, it could be, um, I could say like maybe in five years, maybe a couple years. But today, I can say that the beginning of the final seven years of world history could start this year. Never been able to say that before. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 28. And we see in Deuteronomy 28, verse um, 22, that the Lord will strike you with consumption, with fever, with inflammation, with severe burning fever, with the sword, with the scorching, with the mildew. They shall pursue you until you perish. Turn with me really quick to Amos chapter 4. And in Amos chapter 4, what do we see in Amos 4? Verse 4, come to Bethel. Amos chapter 4, verse 4. Come to Bethel, which is the house of God. We read about Bethel in Genesis. It's like, wow, what a beautiful place. Verse 4. Come to Bethel and transgress. Not good. What happened to Bethel? What happened to Bethel? I thought Bethel was a good place. It was beautiful. But the Lord became forgotten. Because look, come to Bethel and transgress. Not good. At Gilgal, multiply transgression, not good. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven, not good. You see? Proclaim and announce the free will offerings for this you love, you children of Israel, says the Lord your God. Now remember, the Lord is reactionary. Remember the formula looks okay because look, they go to Bethel, 
They go to Gilgal. They bring their sacrifices, their tithes, the sacrifice of thanksgiving. But what the Lord sees, he sees there what they're bringing. He sees that they're in Bethel. But he also sees the transgression. He also sees the leaven. And in response, verse 6, I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places, yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. Verse 7, I also withheld rain for you at the end of verse 8, yet you have not returned to me. In verse 9, I blasted you with blight and mildew at the end of verse 9, yet you have not returned to me. Verse 10, at the beginning, I sent among you a plague at the end of verse 10, yet you have not returned to me. I overthrew some of you in verse 11, and at the end of verse 11, yet you have not returned to me. Verse 12. Therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. That's what happens when the Lord becomes forgotten. That's what happens. It's not pretty. What about when the Lord becomes forgotten in a country? We see it. When Jesus Christ says you are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its flavor, it's good for nothing than to be trampled underfoot by men. Look at our culture. I teach from America. Look at our, if you're American, look at our culture today. It's being trampled underfoot by men. Why? Where is the salt? It has no flavor. You see? The Lord is just responding the way he told us he would respond. We don't have to wonder. It is righteousness that exalts a nation. Where is the righteous? You say, look, the righteous are right here in Amos 4. They, they go to Bethel. Look, they go to the house of God. They got their sacrifices, their tithes. They got their thanksgiving. And look, it's beautiful. They're doing exactly what the Lord says. According to the flesh, yes. But the Lord sees the heart. He sees the transgression. He sees the leaven. Remember, the purpose of these things that we read, I shouldn't say things, the, the purpose of this, what we read in Leviticus and Exodus and the law and the statutes, it's for people to be right before the Lord. It's for hearts to be right before the Lord. It's for people's souls to be clean before the Lord in accordance with the law. I'm not advocating the, the law, but that's the purpose. That's the purpose. The purpose isn't to go through the motions. And that's what was happening. People were going through the motions. What's happening today? Going through the motions. And the Lord is just responding the way he told us he would. He's just doing exactly what he said he would. I mean... People, you know, you, you, judgment comes first to the church. What Brother Peter, what he prophesied, and as, as the Spirit led, as the Spirit inspired, inspired. What, what do you mean judgment comes first to the church? The Lord is just responding the way he, you know, to him is given, much more is required. He's just responding the way he said he would. But understand that the Lord responds to obedience and disobedience, to righteousness and unrighteousness, to wickedness and to righteousness, and also to repentance. The Lord responds. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 28. And in Deuteronomy 28, verse 
23. <clears throat> and your heavens which are over your head shall be bronze, and the earth which is under you shall be iron. Notice, no rain, no soil. The Lord will change the rain of your land to powder and, and dust. From heaven it shall come down on you until you are destroyed. This is heavy. Heavy. And you know what Satan does? People are stuck in these situations. They're not on the 20% side. They're on the 80% side. But they're on the 80% side, the, the disobedient side, not the blessing side. They're on the disobedient side as a result of their own choices. And all God does is respond the way he said he would respond. He reacts the way he said he would respond. But Satan says, how could a God of love do that? How could a God of love? Look, he says that he will rain on your land and he's withholding the rain. Maybe the Bible is fake. You know what? The Bible is fake. You know what? God isn't a God of love. You know what? I'll show you love. Walk with me. I'll show you a real good time. And people believe it. And people walk away. What the Greek is defined as apostasia, which is apostasy. The great falling away. Because Christians, Christians who fall away, don't understand that the Lord is simply doing exactly to the T. Every jot, every tittle is doing exactly what he said he would. He is responding to people's choices. He is responding to the choices of nations, of peoples, individually, corporately. He is simply responding. And then Satan comes in. You see? And how he seduces. I mean, people even pose the argument, how could a God of love do this? This is heavy. How could a God of love do this? Until they're destroyed, how could this be a God of love? Well, let me ask you a question. If that's you, what do you do with bad fruit? You go to the grocery store? You buy a, a little, one of those plastic boxes full of strawberries? Everything looks fine and dandy. Everything looks beautiful. You get home, you open it, you start, you know, washing them. And right in the middle, you didn't see this at the store, but right in the middle, there's one that's like white and hairy, got the mold and nasty. What do you do? Are you going to make a strawberry shake with that one? No, you throw it away. That's what is done. You see? Understand that bad fruit is bad fruit as a result of choice. The Lord simply responds. I'm not a Calvinist. I don't teach Calvinism. I don't teach Reformed theory because it is not found in the Bible. It is unbiblical. It seems like certain passages you know, like you read Romans 8 and 9, it's like, wow, you know, this is this is what Calvinism teaches. And wow, so if this is the case, it's true. But don't forget Romans 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. If you're Calvinist Reformed, 
The theory is unbiblical. Listen to our studies through Romans 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. And then also another message, it's called, Do Not Take the Mark of the Beast. And you'll hear Calvinist teacher say, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. What do you do with bad fruit? Now, if you are bad fruit, and be straight up, we have to be honest with ourselves. If you are bad fruit, yes, the Lord responds to wickedness. He responds to unrighteousness. And that's not a good place to be in. And if that's you, you're in trouble. I love you, but you're in trouble. But the Lord made a way. His name is Jesus Christ. You repent right here, right now. You repent. Hit pause. Repent. And you come back to Christ. See? That's the beauty of repentance. It keeps our, our hearts nice and soft. Jello. You have to be straight up with yourself. In accordance to the word of God. It is our hearts, my heart, your heart, together that yields to the word of God in accordance to the spirit of the Lord. You see, get in the ark. And so we see in verse 25, the Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You notice no victory. Just like we studied in Matthew 12, you have the, you know, the the demon that leaves victory. And then the demon comes back, a little recon mission, looks in the window, sees everything, you know, empty not occupied and then all of a sudden goes out gets his seven friends more worse than him and then they come in and occupy defeat no victory you see victory when the demon left the unclean spirit left victory praise the lord you know absolutely victory but then what happens when the demons return not one demon not two not three not four not five not six not seven a total of eight They come back. Who's going to be ready for that fight? Who's going to be ready? The warrior will. The formula's got to be right in the warrior. And when the formula's wrong, when there's disobedience, you see these, you know, these baby steps, like uh, verse 16, "Cursed, cursed shall you be in the land and cursed shall you be in the country. Now, that's not good. But if you notice that, if you see cursed shall you be in the city, okay, repent. And if you don't repent, okay, cursed shall you be in the country, okay, repent. You don't repent, okay, cursed shall you be your basket, and basket, okay, repent. You still don't repent, okay, the kneading bowl, okay, repent. You don't repent, you see how it just augments. It gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. Now in that state of getting worse, now you see straight up like defeat. In verse 25, the Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them. So instead of like instead of like in verse 7, instead of they shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways, instead of them fleeing, look, look who's doing the fleeing. Now it's you shall you shall go out one in verse 25. You shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them, you see? And you shall become a troublesome or trouble to all the kingdoms of the earth instead of being a blessing now you're like trouble like who wants to be with you you see instead of being a blessing have you ever like if you're like a hiring manager 
at work at your place of employment and you have the ability 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 to hire and fire and you look at a resume okay this guy this guy's good to go you look at a resume okay this gal's good to go <clears throat> you bring them on board they pass the interview it's like okay they say they can do this under stress they say they can work like this they say they're a team player all this thing you hire them all of a sudden the guy's a schlep the lady doesn't want to work the lady goes to sleep on you know she's like sleeping on the job it's not an asset the person's a liability. So what do you do? You fire them. Boom. Fired. No asset. But that's what's, it's like the same thing. You shall become troublesome to all the kingdoms. Instead of being a blessing. Instead of being an asset, so to speak. No, it's like, no, you don't bring anything to the table. And I say that carnally. But understand, we're going to see these things in certain people, certain individuals in our study of the Old Testament. And, you know, people say, oh, God is mean. I don't read the Old Testament because God is mean. No, he's not. He's not. He's a God of love. He's a God of mercy. He never changes. He's long-suffering. All he's doing, he's responding the precise way that he said he would. You see, oh, I like to study the Old Testament. I don't like the New Testament, the Old Testament because it's too much wrath. So I study the New Testament. What? It's like worse in the New Testament because it's like, you know, like the, the wrath is like, that's like end of the line. That's not good. People study the Old Testament, you know, and they say, oh, I like to study the New Testament because, you know, we have like Beatitudes and yes, these are good and you know, we have certain passages and I cherry pick over here. And sometimes I'll touch on the Psalms because of this. And, oh, look, everything's nice. But wait a second. There's, there's wrath in the New Testament. Look at Romans 1. Look at the separation from 1 Corinthians 5. Committing such a one to Satan. Revelation. You see? And so we see this in verse... 26, your carcasses shall be food for all the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and no one shall frighten them away. Now, notice the prophetic implications here. Battle of Armageddon, when the Lord says, you know, he doesn't say, you know, brace for impact. He calls the birds. You see? You say, but this is the law. The law is still in effect. The only way the law is over is for the person, male, female, young, old, I don't care. The only way for the law to be over is when a soul is abiding in Jesus Christ. You see? And people, these mockers of the last days. Oh, you think you think that we should stone these people? You think that this first person is in sin, so we should stone them? Number one, biblically speaking, there is only one who is qualified to stone. And he doesn't throw stones. He will, but not yet. Judgment. There's only one who can judge. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the only one. Remember, let he who is who is without sin cast the first stone. No one is biblically qualified to cast any stone because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But there is only one who can. And today he doesn't. But he will. Remember the blueprints for war, the rules of engagement in accordance to the Old Testament, in accordance to the law. Remember? Mercy and grace first. Mercy and grace first. 
And accordance to those blueprints, in accordance to those rules of engagement, what are we in today? Mercy and grace first. You see? Mercy and grace first. But this door of grace is closing. It's called the fullness of the Gentiles, Romans 11. Once the fullness of the Gentiles happens, boom, focus is back to the root. Israel. See? Blindness in part has come to Israel to provoke the Jews to jealousy, but this age of the Gentiles, the church age, is coming to a close. This door that is open today is not going to be open forever. The one who is biblically qualified to condemn today does not condemn, but condemnation is a sure thing to those who are outside of Christ, which is why we say, get in the ark, jump in the boat, wherever you are, jump ship. The beginning of the 70th week could happen this year. The converging of all these prophecies for such a time as this. Now we see like the call to the, to the birds of the air at the battle of Armageddon, the forces of Antichrist. You know, like, come on, birds of the air, you're going to feast on these kings and captains and mighty armies. You're going to feast. But the Lord is just doing what he said he would do. Verse 26, your carcasses shall be food for all the birds of the air. He's just doing exactly what he said he would do in verse 26. You see? And so we see in verse 27, the Lord will strike you with the boils of Egypt, with the tumors, with the scab, and with the itch from which you cannot be healed. Sounds a lot like revelation. Sounds a whole lot like revelation. You know, you take the mark of the beast and you're going to have the boils, cancerous sores. The Lord is just doing exactly what he said he would. Nothing new under the sun, but where are the sons of Issachar? That's what I want to know. Where are the pastors? Where are the teachers? Not the nerdy karate teachers like I had as a kid. And I speak metaphysically. Or do I? (laughs) Where are the warriors? The pastors? To teach, to feed, to protect, and to die for the flock of God. You see? To die for the flock of God. Yes, pastor. To die for the flock of God. There is honor in death. There is glory in death. Death has no victory. Verse 28, the Lord will strike you with madness. Translates as craziness. I mean, look at the world today. Straight up crazy town. You ever talk with a liberal? They're crazy. I mean, liberal Christians, crazy. They say they're Christians, but they're like voting for Gog and Magog. You see? Abortion. Uh, Led by the senses, led by the heart. They follow their hearts. If you're a liberal Christian, I love you, but jump ship. You're in danger. But you see, remember, uh, the uh, strong delusion Strong delusion is a form of judgment. And it comes upon a person who has no love of the truth. The truth of the word of... And you're seeing it now. Like, a strong love for the word of God, the truth, a strong love 
Like, there are passages which are painful to read and study and heed. Painful. And you do it anyway because you trust in the Lord. And then you see Christians that don't do that. And you know what you're seeing among that group of Christians? You're seeing lamps go out. No power. No light for the dark. But when you have... I say love of the truth, of the Word of God, Genesis to Revelation. But I mean extreme love of the truth, even when it hurts. And you have an extreme love for the Lord. You see Goshen. You see light in God's people. Why? Because they have oil for their lamps. And they've stored their oil for the darkness. It's light for the dark. You see these boils of Egypt. It's like, whoa, this this kind of sounds like revelation. Bingo. Verse 28. The Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion. So it translates as panic. Also sounds like revelation. Also sounds like today. Just like the days of Noah. Just as the Lord said. The Lord is hes doing exactly what he said he would. Verse 29. And you shall grope at noonday as a blind man gropes in darkness. You see? So it's night. You can't see. It's understandable. But it's day. You still can't see. Why? Because you're blind. Or not you, but I mean, that's what, you know, when, when lamps go out, they're blind. You shall not prosper in your ways. You shall not, you shall, you shall be only oppressed and plundered continually and no one shall save you. You see? And this is happening even inside the church. Laodicea. Jesus Christ is on the outside. That's not good. And when to, to Laodicea, Jesus Christ, red letters, Revelation 2 and 3. Jesus Christ says, repent, repent, repent. And yet people say, oh, Satan is attacking me. Satan is attacking. You know, some defeats, a lot of defeats, the majority of defeats are self-inflicted. It's through lack of obedience, a lack of understanding. Oh, but Satan is attacking me. Listen, Satan only attacks the godly. The ungodly are not a threat. The ungodly are in his camp. Satan only attacks the godly. Verse 30. You shall betroth a wife, but another man shall lie with her. You shall build a house, but you shall not dwell in it. You shall plant a vineyard, but you shall not gather its grapes. You see? And these are things that we're going to see in our studies in the Old Testament. And you're going to see how the Lord responds. And you're going to know why he responds the way he does. Balls in in their court, just like the balls in our court. The word is laid forth and who responds with a noble heart just as we looked at in Luke 8 who has the noble heart where the good ground is verse 31 your ox shall be slaughtered before your eyes but you shall not eat of it your donkey shall be violently taken away from before you and shall not be restored to you your sheep shall be given to your enemies and you shall have no one to rescue them you remember when we study in the law what happens when a person loses their Animal, a person loses their, their ox, their sheep, their animal. The law states I have to be restored. The law states I have to be restored. But this is in the 80% camp. Disobedience. Through disobedience, the Lord responds another way. Yes, it is written there's restoration 
But that's when the formula is right. It's just like in Numbers when we look at, you know, Canaan. The Lord says, go into Canaan. But in the same chapter, don't go to Canaan. You know, go to Canaan. Go to Canaan. You're going to fight and you're going to win. And then he says, don't go to Canaan because you're going to fight and you're going to lose. Did the Lord change his mind? No. The hearts weren't right. And when the heart is right, okay, now victory becomes effectuated through obedience. The formula is wrong in the heart. Defeat becomes effectuated. And the Lord says, don't go because he knows you're going to be defeated because he knows the formula is wrong. You see, He's, it's in love. People say, oh, that's so judgmental because the people lose. No, the Lord, the Lord is loving because he says, don't go. Understand, allow the word of God to teach us. It's we are the ones who yield to the word, not make the word yield to us. That's called idolatry. Don't do that. We are the ones, you and me together, we yield to the word of the Lord, not the other way around. We yield to him because he is Lord. And we'll understand, you know, like in, in, in verse 31, restoration of animals, but the law states I have to be restored. Yes, the law states that. What is your heart like? Are you obedient? Okay. When you're right before the Lord, now this law pertains. The restoration. But when you're disobedient, don't expect these laws to be effectuated. There are other laws that say, you know, how the Lord responds. He responds to disobedience. You see? No rescue for these. You know, your sheep shall be given to your enemies and you shall have no one to rescue them. You see? People follow God only for the goodies. I hate to say that, but it's true. People follow God because they want the goodies. It's called wanting the presence instead of the presence. That's not good. Wanting the presence, the gifts, nice little bow on top. Instead of or more than the presence, oneness with the Lord. That's the wrong formula. It's the other way around. Desire the oneness, to have oneness and intimacy with Jesus Christ. And as a result, the Lord is reactionary. As a result comes the gifts of the Spirit. But the gifts of the Spirit are not in accordance to the flesh. The gifts of the Spirit are in accordance to our study through 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. We study and see how the Spirit moves and how He works. Follow God only for the goodies? That's not good. The presence, not the presence, the presence. You see, well, what's the difference? One has a bow on top, and the other, you have intimacy with him. You choose. Ball's in your court. Ball's in our court. We're in the same boat. You see? Verse 32. Your sons and your daughters shall be given to another people, and your eyes shall look and fail with longing for them all day, and there shall be no strength in your hand. Have you ever spoken to parents and even grandparents who grieve for the younger generation? I've had these conversations with parents. Oh, my son, my son is over here. My son is involved with this. My son is in jail. And yes, it's sad. He made his choice. But parents, you also make your choice in raising and training them. You see, parents aren't absolved from the matter of training. To talk with a parent, oh, my son, my son, my son, my daughter, my daughter, oh, look, I'm so pained. I'm so pained. Well, 
Yes, you're pained now, and yes, it's sad, but the time to train was when baby girl was two years old. Not even two years old, scratch that. The time to train was like the day of birth. One, two, three, four, five, age 15, she's a straight-up warrior. She's not going to prison. I mean, if she goes to prison for becoming for a Christian, you know, that's that's good prison. You go to prison for for because you know you're standing Jesus Christ? That's good. That's you know, praise be to the Lord because you're counted worthy to, to, to suffer shame for the name of Christ. But if you go to prison because you know you're uh, you know you're selling drugs, you know, you're in prison because you deserve to be in prison. We have to put things in perspective. Parents are not absolved from their re- biblical responsibility. You know, talk to parents, you know, and, you know, I don't like that responsibility. Well, you should have thought about that. Takes two to tango. You should have thought about that. Parents, train your kids. Equip them. Train them to be fighters. Because milk toast is dangerous. Being a baby is beautiful for babies. But to stay baby, not good. Look at, look at Corinth. Not good. I mean, it was good after the separation. But it should have never got there. It should have never been there. But it was. I mean, I rejoice. Remember my love-hate relationship with Corinth? I'm glad it's there. I love that it's there because, you know, the, of our flesh, the carnal nature. You might come to the realization like, wait, I, I'm a milk drinker. You know, you might come to that realization, realization like, oh my goodness, I... I drink milk. I believe in Jesus Christ, but straight up, I drink milk. And if that's you, rejoice. But once you come to the realization that you drink milk, now we have to mature. We have to grow together. Then we can eat steak, pork chops, lobster, you know. I speak metaphysically, but that maturity concept is there. And so we see this in verse 33. A nation whom you have not known shall eat the fruit of your land and the produce of your labor, and you shall be only oppressed and crushed continually. Remember, we're going to study the Assyrian Assyrian captivity, Babylonian captivity, uh, the impact of the Romans on Judea. The Lord is simply responding the way he he told us he would respond, the way he said he would. In verse 34, you shall be driven mad because of the sight which you, which your eyes see and terrible things that are going to be seen, but they happen for a reason. To see the fruit of the doing of a disobedient people, a disobedient person, a disobedient tribe, a disobedient nation, we will see these things. Verse 35, the Lord will strike you in the knees and on the legs which with severe boils which cannot be healed. And from the sole of your foot to the top of your head, the Lord will bring you and the king whom you set over you. This is sad. Notice it, it's, it's not the Lord who they set as king over them. Like in Samuel, when Samuel is, he's, he has a breaking heart and the Lord comforts him and says, Samuel, they're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me. When this happens... Verse 36, when 
the Lord will bring you and, and the king whom you set over you to a nation which neither you nor your fathers have known. And there you shall serve other gods, wood and stone, and you shall become an astonishment or translates as like a, like a, a like ruin and waste. A proverb, bad proverb. And a byword among all nations or a mockery among all nations where the Lord will drive you. Verse 38. You shall carry much seed out to the field, but gather little in for the locust shall consume it. You see, it's just like today. Look at the locusts that are attacking, you know, in African regions and in uh, 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 Middle Eastern countries and even in regions of America and Europe, South America. Look at the locusts. All you got to do is go to the news, read the news. Look at the rise of the locusts attacking certain regions of the world. And then you read the news articles and they say, yes, there's this increase of locusts. There's this, you know, they have pictures where you can't even see the sky. It turns into night because there's so much locusts. And what do they do? They call it climate change. Climate change. What does the Bible say? You've forgotten the Lord. The Lord has forgotten. These are signs. The Lord is simply responding the way he told us he would. Verse 39. You shall plant vineyards and tend them, but you shall neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes, for the worms shall eat them. You see, and these are things that we're seeing are on the rise. And, you know, it's a result of disobedience when the Lord becomes forgotten. But at the same time, the world will have the solution, just like Janus and Jambres in, in Egypt. Oh, Pharaoh, look, we can turn the water into into blood as well. We can make the water red as well. There is power in these these demonic forces. There is power behind them, but they're not all powerful. They're not almighty. You see? The world will call it climate change. Just like Janice and Jambres resisting the things of the Lord. But the remnant will know. The remnant will see because the remnant has eyes and ears to hear. Verse 40, you shall have olive trees throughout all your territory, but you shall not anoint yourself with the oil for your olives shall drop off. You see, no anointing, no oil, no oil for anointing and no oil for lambs. Verse 41, you shall beget sons and daughters, but they shall not be yours for they shall go into captivity. You see, they shall go into captivity. How could a loving God do this? He's absolutely a loving God. 100% a loving God. Understand that precursory to these things happening, and they will happen, and we will study these things happening in the Old Testament, and we will see these things happening today even. But precursory to getting to this point, God always, always, always sends his messengers. And the messengers always say, repent, 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 repent. Return to the Lord. Always. Always. It's not... That's how he works. That's 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 how he works. That's his blueprints. 
There's these safeguards for people to be right with the Lord. But when those are breached, you know, enters the messenger, prophet, apostle, pastor, elder, teacher, specific messengers that the Lord uses for his task, his bidding, to tell people, repent, repent. It's not just teaching for the sake of, oh, I want want a a special pastor parking spot. So I think I'm going to be a pastor. I want to do good for my community. No. It's not for feeling good about oneself. The Lord calls you in pastoral ministry. In in one sense, it's almost like a death wish. I mean, in, in accordance to the Spirit, it's like, you know, praise be to the Lord, but you won't have any friends. Christians will hate you because, I mean, remember the four categories of the last day's church, false apostate, entering apostasy, or is this true? The majority of Christians will hate you. You'll be alone. And as we get further in the last days, the Antichrist will want your head. The Antichrist says to people, everybody has to take the mark of the beast. Put this little chip on your hand. Put this little chip on your forehead. Put this little injection into your body or else you can't buy or sell. We've already, we've already breached that. We've, we've already crossed that. We've already seen governments with these mandates. We've already seen it. But that's mandate number one. What about mandate number two, three, four, five down the road? In the next pestilence. The Antichrist and the world. Oh, let's put this mark on our hand. Let's put this mark on our forehead. Look, it's so good. Look, this man of peace. This man of peace. Let's do it for the name of the man of peace. Look, we're, we're unity. We're all about unity. We don't like any of you dividers. And you're a pastor. You're a teacher who says, do not put that on your hand. Do not put that on your forehead. You know what's going to happen? They're going to want your head. They will want your head. But to live is Christ, to die is gain. You want to be pastor so you can, you know, feel good about yourself? That's not good. The Lord better call you. Because the Lord must build the house. If the Lord doesn't build the house, they who attend, it's, it's all in vain. As it is written. Verse 42. Locusts shall consume all your trees and pro- the produce of your land. Verse 43. The alien who is among you shall rise higher and higher above you. And you shall come down lower and lower. Nothing new under the sun. I teach from America. Look at how the alien has. You know. Is, you know they say inalienable rights. <laughs> Look at how the alien has all these rights afforded to them. I'm not speaking against immigration. We've got to have lawful immigration. You read the white papers, Clash of Civilizations, Club of Rome. It's all, it's all coming to pass. These are things that are put in place. Fulfilling prophecy. Nothing new under the sun. 
Look at look at churches in, in, in Europe, Great Britain. Look at churches. Churches that have been churches for centuries. All of a sudden, they take down the cross and put up the minaret. You see? The alien rises higher and higher. And that's what happens when God is forgotten. When Jesus is forgotten, the biblical Jesus, not the fake Jesus. The fake Jesus that says, you know, go to Mary. The fake Jesus that says, take the mark of the beast. The fake Jesus that says, you know, lay down on the graves and soak in the spirit from the graves. Not the fake Jesus that says, God is done with Israel. The real Jesus. When the real Jesus is forgotten, this is what happens. The fake Jesus, I mean, this, this is automatic. You know, the, 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 don't expect the blessings of God from the fake Jesus. The blessings of God do not happen with the fake Jesus. But the real Jesus? Remember, he'll blow you away with blessings, just like in verse 2. He'll overtake you with blessings, but it's a result of obedience. Verse 44, he shall lend to you, but you shall not lend to him. He shall be the head and you shall be the tail. Moreover, all these curses shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you. You see, instead of being overtaken by blessing is to be overtaken by the curses until you are destroyed. Why? Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes, statutes which he commanded you. And they shall be upon you for a sign and a wonder and on your descendants forever. You see, and when this happens for this generation that this happens to in the Old Testament and even New Testament and even today, the younger generation can know, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, we have forgotten the Lord. I mean, look at Korah. The sons of Korah. Now, Korah's camp and all his followers, they all died. They were all judged. The wrath of God fell upon them and destroyed them all, men, women, and children. But there was a group of the sons of Korah that said, nope, we love you, dad, you know, but you know, you're crazy. We're not going to obey you because you're not obeying the Lord. We're going to, as for us, we're going to obey the Lord. And you see among these descendants in the sons of Korah, you see them in the Psalms. You have to make your choice. People make their choice. In a home, husband makes his choice. Wife makes her choice. Kids make their choice. And when the formula is right in each, then everybody aligns to the word of God. Husband submits to Jesus. Wife in submission to, to husband and Jesus. And kids in submission to parents. You see? Just like our, our studies in Ephesians 5 and 6. The... The makeup of the home, these dynamics of husband, wife, dad, kids, working as unto the Lord. All these dynamics that the Word of God teaches us and shows us. Why? Because the Lord wants to bless. I mean, just the fact that we have the Word of God, the Lord shows us the way. He wants to bless us. But there's a specific formula for that to happen. And so we see here in verse 46, 
And they shall be upon you for a sign and a wonder and on your descendants forever because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart. Very interesting here. With joy and gladness of heart. So it's not just going through the motions. Remember what we looked at in Amos 4? They were at Bethel. They had the sacrifices. They had all the offerings. And you see that and it's like, wow, but they're doing what they were told. They're doing what the law says. But is there joy? Is there gladness of heart? Or are they going through the motions? And the Lord knows. The Lord sees the heart. He tests the mind. What's going on in the heart? I mean, remember we make the comparison between Eli and Hannah? Was the Lord... Where was the Lord? You take Hannah and Eli. Where was the Lord? Remember, there's no widespread revelation in those days. The Lord was silent in those days. Why? What vessel could he use? Where were the vessels? What vessel could he use? And he opened the womb of beautiful Hannah because he sees the heart. That's what's so powerful about the word of God. People think, oh, pastors, oh, we don't, oh, holy, he's so holy, he's so holy. But we're all one. It's true that pastors have a responsibility. It's true that when the formula is right in the pastor to listen and obey such people because they watch out for our souls, it's biblically true and it is safe to do so. But the formula has got to be right in the pastor, not just any willy nilly. It's got to be a godly man. These are people who watch out for your souls. These are people who are like sons of Issachar who will teach you and train you and guide you and lead you. Not lead you into like a, a you know, good stock portfolio. Straight up lead you to paradise. That's their task. They're under orders. That's what they do. That's their calling. But Satan has his ministers too. You have to be a Berean. And so look what happens here. Because you did not serve in verse 47, the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything. Remember, all these things are a blessing. No thanksgiving unto the Lord. They got abundance of everything, but yet there's no joy, no thankfulness unto the Lord. And the Lord responds. It's not going through the motions. Remember Romans 1, well, for the Lord to also give up, that means the people have to give up on God first. The Lord responds. In verse 48, therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you. Chastisement of Nebuchadnezzar. He says of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar is my servant of the Babylonians. The Lord sent Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 48, whom the Lord will send against you in hunger, in thirst, in nakedness, and in need of everything. And he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. This is heavy. This is heavy. You notice how, like in, 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 in verse 16, cursed shall you be in the city. Boom. If that cursed shall you be in the city, boom. That's like, okay, repent. I'm going to get right with the Lord. I mean, in accordance to the law. I'm not advocating the law, but, you know, remember... The law was added until the seed. This is pre-seed. Listen to our study through Galatians. You'll understand about seed. So, cursed shall you be in the city. Okay, I'm going to repent right here. But if you don't repent, cursed shall you be in the country. Okay, I'm going to repent right here. All these safeguards to where it's like, oh, it's getting worse and worse and worse. Sin begetting sin begetting sin. And have you ever seen people like that? 
Where it's like, man, I remember when this guy was, you know, this guy's straight up crazy town now. But I remember, man, he should have repented right back here. She should have repented right back here. But it got worse. It got worse. It got worse. It got worse. It's hardness of heart. Pride of life. Hardness of heart. Doctrine too, because, oh, you know, once saved, always saved. Don't expect the once saved, always saved to always repent. Why? Because in accordance to Calvinism and Reformed theory, once saved, always saved. What's the need of repenting? Because once saved, always saved. You see? It's a trap. All these safeguards in place. You know, verse 16. Cursed shall you be in the city. Oh, why do I need to repent? Why, how can I be cursed? You know, if, if God is for me, who can be against me? I'm of the elect. Okay. Cursed shall you be in the city. Cursed shall you be in the country. Why do I need to repent? Look, you know, I'm of the elect. You see, cursed shall you be, in verse 17, cursed shall you be your basket and your kneading bowl. Why do I need to repent? I'm of the elect. And it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. All of a sudden, we get into like verse 48. He will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. Why do I have to repent? You know, we're of the elect. You see how doctrine, it's not sound doctrine, the once saved, always saved. It's not sound doctrine. It has been placed in the balance and found wanting. There is no safety in false doctrine. The formula must be right. There's more. Verse 49, the Lord will bring a nation against you from afar, from the end of the earth. As swift as the eagle flies, a nation whose language you will not understand. A nation of fierce countenance who does not respect the elderly nor show, nor, nor show favor to the young. When you read history books about anthropologically, about the, what the Assyrians and Babylonians and the Romans did to their captives, it's heavy. Very, very heavy. It's not like, you know, we're going to put you in jail. No, it's very heavy. When you read Fox's Book of Martyrs and see what the Catholic Church did to Christians. It's not good. Catholicism is not biblical Christianity. They might proclaim so from their platitudes, but the foundation is the blood of the saints. Read Fox's Book of Martyrs. Read what the Catholic Church did to Christians, what they did to pregnant women, what they did to the fathers, what they did to husbands. And what they made the husbands and fathers do in watching their wives and kids being tortured, ripped open, cut open. And then they kill the, kill the dad, kill the husband. The Catholic Church. Verse 51, and they shall eat the increase of your livestock and the produce of your land until you are destroyed. They shall not leave you, they shall not leave you grain nor, or new wine or oil or the increase of your cattle or the offspring of your flock until they have destroyed you. They shall besiege you at all your gates until your high and fortified walls in which you trust. Notice, notice these safety measures that they put in place. Fortified walls in which you trust. Everybody has these safety measures. Oh, I'm going to run to safety. I'm going to go over here where it is safe. I'm going to live in this nice gated community where it is safe. I'm going to go over here where it is safe. 
the Lord says here, until your high, until your high fortified walls in verse 52, in which you trust. Where is trust in the Lord? Where is the trust in the Lord? I tell you the truth. The only safety any soul will ever have is in Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High. That is the only safety there is. There is no safety outside of Christ. You can't run over here and expect safety. You can't run over there and expect safety. Build these brick walls around you. Only in Jesus Christ. Just like here in verse 52 with disobedience. Notice how the result of disobedience gets worse and worse and worse. And we see that they shall, in verse 52, shall besiege you at all your gates until your high fortified walls in which you trust come down throughout all your land. And they shall besiege you at all your gates throughout all your land, which the Lord your God has given you. These are things that are going to happen in the last days. Straight up book of Revelation. As the Lord makes himself known to a world that has forgotten him. And it's not just people attacking people. There's that aspect too. Animals, it is prophesied. Animals killing people. And not just that. Don't forget the hail. Hail that are like straight up big stones crushing people. It's going to be so bad that people will run into caves in the mountains. Wanting to die. But they will not be safe there. I mean, death will escape them. It's perilous times. Straight up earthquakes. I mean, people are going to say climate change. Oh, natural disasters. It's climate change. It's climate change. No. I mean, the climate will be changing. But as a result of God who controls the climate. It's not climate change. It's judgment. Notice who proclaims climate change. Look at in the world today who proclaims climate change. Oh, climate change this, climate change that, global warming, global warming. But who will say, that's God's judgment. This is the signs of the times. You see? I mean, let's turn to Peter really quick. Second Peter. Second Peter chapter three, verse nine. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. That is global warming. But it's biblical global warming because it's the Lord that's doing it. People can take blame carbon emissions. They can blame this and that. They can say, hey, get your electric cars, you know, get your, you know, the shingles on your house, the solar panels on your house. They can do that. They can say that all they want. But you can't prevent the kingdom. You can't avoid the kingdom from coming. The kingdom, 70 weeks are decreed. And for such a time as this, notice the 
converging of all these prophecies that are coming to pass for such a time as this. The confederation that is going to the UN, proposed to the UN this week. This week. I mean, we'll see what happens. I mean, they might agree upon it in a month, in two months, in a year. There might be a formal agreement. They're going to, you know, toss this around, toss that around, throw these ideas, add these addendums, and they might scrap it, and it could be. But for such a time as this, you have a confederation, which is specific to the Hebrew wording of the confirmation of the covenant. The covenant with many. On top of that, it's not based on a two-state solution. It's based on Abrahamic covenants. These sensitive issues such as the Temple Mount. On top of that, look at all these. Look at how everybody's talking about global warming. You know, the carbon emissions, carbon emissions. And, you know, it's been happening for a while now. But, you know, I have these laws in place for, you know, a... The, the neutral, you know, the, the, the you know, carbon emissions is net neutral, all, all these, you know, we want to, you know, we want zero carbon. But who is it that will say no? This is the science of the times. Biblical global warming, as the Spirit told Peter to write down in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10. And verse 11, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be? That's you and me. What manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Peter even exudes the exact same concept. Balls in your court, church. Balls in your court, saint. You see? The word goes forth. We respond to the word. And the Lord responds accordingly. How do we respond to him? You see? Let's go back to Deuteronomy. And so we see in Deuteronomy... In verse 52, they shall besiege you. At the end of verse 52, they shall besiege you at all your gates throughout all your land, which the Lord your God has given you. You shall eat the fruit of your own body. You see, this is straight up cannibalism. Cannibalism. When you read certain parts of the Bible, certain historical books, this happened in the camp of Israel. Cannibalism. It's things that are written against the law, against Torah. And yet these are things that were committed. Lawlessness entered the camp. You shall eat the fruit of your own body, the flesh of your sons and of your daughters, whom the Lord your God has given you in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemy shall distress you. You see, we read this and it's like, no more, Lord. No more. Who can stomach this? But there's more. Remember, 80%, the majority, is disobedience. God's response to disobedience. What does that say about the narrow path? 
Verse 54, the sensitive and very refined man among you will be hostile, hostile towards his brother, toward the wife of his bosom, and toward the rest of his children whom he leaves behind, so that he will not give any of them the flesh of his children whom he will eat, because he has nothing left in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemy shall distress you at all your gates. We read this and it's like, this is impossible. How can this be among Israel? How can this be? You take a hundred people, just a hundred people. You put them in a large valley and close it off, seal it off. And in one week's time, you'll start to see the tribal nature of man. Civilized society requires civility. But when God is forgotten, don't expect civility. Civility. When God is forgotten, expect lawlessness. I wonder. I wonder. In accordance to Second Thessalonians chapter 2, he who now restrains. I wonder if he's already started lifting his hand away. Now, people say it's Michael the archangel. I say it's the Holy Spirit. Who's right? Now, I'm not going to get into theological debates on, you know, people say it's Michael. I know godly men, godly pastors who say it's Michael, but they also say, you know, it could be the Holy Spirit. But a lot of them say it's Michael. How could it be the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit is always with us? Hold the phone there, my friend. When you read passages in Deuteronomy, overlay it with Jude 1, overlay that with Deuteronomy 12, and you see how Michael has certain, the angel, the archangel Michael has certain functionalities, certain duties. And then you read about he who now restrains. Now, he who now restrains, 2 Thessalonians 2, was written 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple years. And that was he who now restrains. But when you read about the protection and restraining that happens in D Daniel 12, and you read that, that is an event that occurs in the middle of the 70th week, which means that, you know, when you see in the middle of the 70th week that that happening, you know, a little double whammy is if you're pre-tribulation rapture theory and you believe that he who now restrains is Michael. That absolutely doesn't fit. But then we start to see these things in accordance. It's like, wait a second, how could this be Michael? How could it be Michael? And then those in the Michael camp, they say, well, how could it be the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit is always with us? Now, understand the prophecies. There is a time when things go dark that lamps will start to go out among the foolish virgins. The only ones with oil for their lamp are the wise virgins. Those are the only ones that will have light for the dark. The only ones. The wise virgins. So it's not that the Holy Spirit is gone. It's that there are saints who ran out of oil. Which is why you hear us say from time to time, store your oil. But I wonder... If we're living in a time where we are witnessing the Holy Spirit 
who goes into the world, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, goes into the world to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. If that covering is being lifted in preparation for the events of the days of Noah, the days of Elijah, the 70th week of Daniel, the final seven years of world history. Look at the world around us. Look at the lawlessness. Look at the corruption. Look at it. You can see it. Why, why, why did this happen in 1950? Why did this happen in 1920? Why did this happen in, you know, at this degree in 1970? Understand that there's going to be a time when he who now restrains will be lifted away. Which means a guy wants to murder, he's going to murder. A guy wants to rape, he's going to rape. A lady wants to steal, she's going to steal. Because there's no restrainer. There's no ministry of the Holy Spirit who goes into the world to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Amen. The Holy Spirit is there. But only among the wise virgin who has oil for her lamp. Perilous times. Verse 56. The tender and delicate woman among you who would not venture to set the sole of her foot on the ground because of her delicateness and sensitivity will refuse to the husband of her bosom and to the son and her daughter. Her placenta. Now, this some translations say placenta after birth, but how this translates in the Hebrew is a freshly born baby. A freshly born baby. Verse 57, her placenta, or in the Hebrew, freshly born baby, which comes out from between her feet and her children whom she bears, for she will eat them secretly for lack of everything in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemy shall distress you at your gates. It's cannibalism. A woman will give birth to her baby and will refuse the husband, refuse the kids, the baby, and she will eat the baby. Lawlessness. These are things that are strictly forbidden in the law, but you see lawlessness. You see how it, you, can you see the progression? I mean, verse 16, very simple. It's bad, but it's very simple. Verse 16, cursed shall you be in the city. That's bad, but that's step one in the wrong direction. Now, cursed be in the city. Okay, Lord, forgive me. I repent. Offering, sacrifice. Go to the priest, a godly priest. Okay, let's get you cleaned up. Let's get you cleaned up. Outside of that, when corruption sets, what if the priest is corrupt? Eli and his sons. What if there's corruption in, among the judges and the elders? What if there's corruption there? The formula is not right in the priests, the Kohanim, the Levites. The, the, the formula is not right in the elders and the judges. Corruption sets in. How can people be right before the Lord? They can go through the motions, absolutely. With carnal eyes, it can look like everything's fine and dandy. But with spiritual eyes, and the Lord sees the heart, everything's not fine and dandy. Now you see lawlessness set in. It gets worse and worse and worse and worse. It's in these moments. And I tell you from experience, 
It's in these moments where Lucifer whispers, why don't you kill yourself? And I speak to my friends that are suicidal. Don't do that. Murder of self is not a fast track to heaven. Remember the, the Philippian jail? The, the guy, the, the jailer wanted to kill himself? What did Paul say? He didn't say, okay, fast track to heaven. I'll see you when I see you. No. He said, see that you don't do that. If you're suicidal, you have to understand this aspect of spiritual warfare. It's very real, very serious in this life and the life to come. Because it's in these moments of these destitute and these moments where Satan will whisper, why don't you just kill yourself? And that will seem appealing to you given your fallen state. And I say this from experience with failed suicides in my path in my past God does not want that for you whatever ship you're on jump and take my hand and get in the boat get in the ark yeah you're on milk but everybody milk is kind of tasty but tastier is the Ribeye, which we'll get to in time. And if that's you, you're suicidal. You have these depression, this anxiety. Listen to our study through Colossians. You'll understand even in Paul and his anxiety. Yes, he says, be anxious for nothing. But in his anxiety, he goes to the Lord. And he says, you know, the peace of God, which surpasses understanding. That's... You know, the Lord will blow you away with the peace that surpasses understanding. Just as is written here, how, you know, in, in verse 2, overtake you. The blessings of God overtake you. Don't commit suicide. There's a better way, but the formula has to be precise. The formula, speaking of Christ, whose word is above his name, there is healing in him and healing in him only. There's no healing in the fake Jesus. There's no healing in the grave soakers. There's no healing with the replacement theology. There's no healing with the take the mark of the beast people. No healing. There's only healing in the real Jesus. You come to him. Take my hand. Metaphysically, take my hand right here, right now. Jump ship. I got you. Hit pause, listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. I remember back in the day, in my suicidal thoughts, the bullet to the head seemed very nice, very, very nice. Thankfully, I didn't have a gun with me. But the thoughts were still there. The whispers were still there. My failed suicide and here we are today. I tell you these things from experience. We read these passages like, how could this be? I mean, how could this be? We see such beautiful things, beautiful promises. Yes, but this is a result of what happens when the Lord becomes forgotten. 
It's like, like a freshly born baby and the mom is eating it? Look at the lawlessness. Also notice, when you study the peoples surrounding these lands, the Hittites, Hittites, Hivites, Jebusites, Moabites, these people, cannibalism is part of their culture, their belief system, worship of their gods. Now you start to see who becomes the influencer. Now you understand why the Lord was hardcore when he says, you know, see that these people do not become your influence. The Lord is God. Not Baal, not Molech, not the asterisk, the Lord. But when God becomes forgotten, people don't have the spiritual eyes, they don't have ears to hear. Then they look at what they can see with their carnal eyes. Oh, this seems better over here. I'm going to go over here to the, to the Baal, to the Molech. And the Lord responds. You know, he, he lays it out. And all the Lord does is respond the exact, precise way he says he, he will. We need not be surprised when we see it happening. But where are the teachers? Where are the pastors? Where are the elders? Where? That's what I want to know. Where are the, where are the hardcore? Where are the warriors? Not the milk toast. Where are the fighters? With dented shields and dented helmets and dented breastplates and not dented swords. Swords that are sharper than all sharp because it's the word of God. And when I say dented, I don't mean dented like ruined. I mean dented like these people have handled some business. Where are they? Male, female, young, old? Where? In closing, look at verse 58. Or verse 57, for she will eat them secretly for lack of everything in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemy shall distress you at all your gates. If, in verse 58, if, 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 balls in your court, if you do not carefully observe all the words of this law that are written in this book. Kind of sounds like revelation. You know, anyone who adds to the words of this book. That you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, Jehovah Elohim. You see? And this is the reaction of God to the disobedient, verse 59, I mean, to add to what's already been said, as difficult as it is. Then the Lord your God, in verse 59, will bring upon you and your descendants extraordinary plagues, great and prolonged plagues, and Serious and prolonged sickness sounds like revelation. You know, for we see these plagues in revelation. The fact that we see these things in revelation shows us that there is a large majority, very close to all, who are outside of the safety of Jesus Christ. Because remember, the law is not made for a righteous person. And you see these things of the law, of the Torah, befalling the earth. 
the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. Him, the Most High. You see, the effects of His law befalling the earth in Revelation. What does that say about the people? See? They need to be taught. The gospel needs to go forth. They need safety. God is not willing that any should perish. He is long-suffering. We see this overlay of the law, these aspects of the law of disobedience, you know, the curses of disobedience, but we see this overlay in Revelation in itself. The law being imposed upon a lawless world. And the Lord is just doing exactly what he said he would. You see, moreover in verse 60, he will bring back on you all the diseases of Egypt, which you were afraid of, which you were afraid. And they also shall cling to you. But we're God's people. But we're God's people. Understand. God's people. God's people are godly. I'll say that again. God's people are godly. We're not believers in Jesus Christ by osmosis. Christians are holy because of holiness unto the Lord. Blessings of obedience. And through obedience, just as we study in Colossians, certain things are effectuated. Confidence in the circumcision. This is like warrior material. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to go into combat with a 1 Corinthians 3 person. I don't want to go into combat. I don't want to go into a hot zone when somebody's a 1 Corinthians 3 person. But a Colossians brother, a Colossians sister, Whew, let's get it on. And I don't say that pridefully, but there's certain confidence in the circumcision. And it's not carnal. It's to say, let's go fishing. You see? Head for the hills. I mean, when you read the, the, the impact, the overlay of the law imposed on a lawless generation, the hills will kill you. Let's go fishing. We see in verse 61, there's more. <laughs> also, every sickness and every plague which is not written in the book of the law will the Lord, the, will the Lord bring upon you until you are destroyed. Exactly like Revelation. You shall be left few in number. You see, the remnant remains. The re it gets smaller and smaller and smaller. I mean, look at the implications when we get into like 144,000. Strip Revelation. Whereas you were 
past tense as the stars of heaven in multitude because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Everything is a result of disobedience and it gets worse. You know, I mean, I don't want to advocate disobedience in any way, shape or form. But verse 16, there's, there is appeal to verse 16 as opposed to, I mean, you know, verse 62 or, you know, verse 59. You look at verse 59 and verse 62, there is absolute appeal to verse uh, 16. And verse 16 is still a curse. But once you feel that sting or that realization of like, oh my goodness, this is a curse. What what happens? Repentance. That's what should happen. Balls in your court. Repent. Repent, repent, repent. It's how our hearts stay nice and soft jello. Nice and soft. Circumcision. And there's confidence in jello. Confidence in circumcision. There's no confidence in maple. You have a heart of maple? You have a heart of pine? That's not good. There's no confidence in that. But there's confidence in a heart of jello because it's nice and soft. You see? Receptive to the things of the Lord. Just as we see in the book of Acts, the receptivity of the church, saints, Christians, a people of the way. Are they they called Christians? Before they were called Christians, they were called a people of the way. See, receptive to the things of the Lord. Why? Because of soft hearts. Even in the face of persecution. Remember the home invasion we studied in the book of Acts? And so we see in verse 63, And it shall be that just as the Lord rejoiced over you to do good and multiply you, so the Lord rejoiced over you to destroy you and bring you to nothing. Whoa. Now, Calvinist and Reformed theory people have it wrong. Because they say, you know, destruct, they're, they're destroy, they're, people are predestined for hell and destroyed for his glory. But that's wrong. That's wrong. What the Lord is doing through chastisement is bringing to nothing. You know, when he brings a person to nothing, it's to look at Nebuchadnezzar. How he was a servant of the Lord in chast, a tool of chastisement. But then Nebuchadnezzar, in his pride, the Lord humbled. But then there was restoration to Nebuchadnezzar. You see, when the Lord brings a person to nothing, it's to humble a person. He does it to a person. He does it to a people. I mean, look at the whole of Judah. But look at the individuality of Shadrach. Look at the individual individuality of Ezra. In the whole time frame of the 70 years, Babylonian captivity, Look at the whole of Judah, pre-70 years. Look at the individuality of Shadrach during the 70 years, early part. And the individuality of Ezra towards the end. And you start to see the beauty in what the Lord is doing in preservation of a remnant. And he never changes. He does it with the church. The exact same he does with the church. You read Revelation 2 and 3, seven churches. There's only two that are set, that he says not to repent. Why? Because everything's on point. Smyrna and Philadelphia. Everybody else he says, repent, 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 repent. It's the same formula. Why? Same God. 
Why? He never changes. Why? He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. The formula is right. Everything fit the triangle, triangle, circle, circle, square, square. You get into false doctrine, false theology, all of a sudden you make excuses. Well, God predestines these people for hell. God predestines these people for heaven. Let's put aside the, you know, five marriages. Let's put aside the strippers. Let's put aside the crack, the little white lies so he can get his cheap tickets to Disneyland. Let's put those things aside. God is sovereign. Once saved, always saved. You see how false theology begets more false theology, but it creates even worse sin. Because there's when there's confidence in false doctrine, that's dangerous. Very dangerous because a heart can settle in those things. And in that regard, I'm thankful for the events of Revelation as terrifying as it is. I'm thankful for those things because it's those very things when the foundations of the earth start to shake. So will the foundations of false doctrine. And those foundations will crumble. And a person will see Oh my goodness, I was wrong. And instead of falling away, because the remnant have their fishing poles, saving people as through fire. You see how everything fits perfectly? Perfectly. You don't have to make excuses for, oh, well, you know what? Um, God says this over here, but he didn't really mean that. And so let's create this new doctrine over here. And he didn't really mean that. So let's create this and, you know, let's form these, uh, you know, these councils so we can affirm it. And then let's let this be our belief system. And let's create these statement of beliefs and let's have these catechisms. And no, just the word of God. Genesis to Revelation. And the word became flesh. The word is above his name. The real Jesus, safety in him, sound doctrine. See? And so we see in verse 63, and it shall be that just as the Lord rejoice over you to do to, uh, over you to do good and multiply you, so the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you and bring you to nothing, and you shall be plucked for, plucked from off the land which you go to possess. You see? Which you go to possess. Now, when God humbles, it's very serious. It's very painful. But it's also very beautiful. I tell you these things from experience. I don't want anybody to come to Christ the way I did. Nobody. I want nobody to come to Christ the way I did because it was very painful. Very painful. But you might be in a situation right now where this whole time you've been listening, like, come on, come on, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know my, 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 my walk. You don't know anything about me. And you're going to come at me with this. Yes, I'm going to come at you with this. And you're right. I don't know what you've been through. But I also say these things to you from experience. The dark suicidal tunnel, hearing the voice of Satan. And tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. You come to him. You hit pause. You listen to the message. 
how to commit your life to Christ. And you do it right here, right now. Because these days are evil. The church age is coming to a close. And let's get cleaned up. We'll get you cleaned up. The Lord does the work inside of your heart, inside of your mind. He changes you, transforms you, renewing of the mind. Who you That's what's so beautiful. You know, joy comes in the morning. You woke up this morning, like, you know, suicidal. You wake up tomorrow, born again. See? We see here in closing, verse 64. Then the Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other, and there you shall serve other gods which neither you nor your fathers have known, wood and stone. Even here a choice can be made. It depends on the heart. And you're going to see people in the Old Testament where they are in dire straits. And then you're going to see repentance. Remember, the Lord responds to obedience. He responds to disobedience. He responds to righteousness. He responds to wickedness. And I don't know if I can say more beautiful. I want to say it. But there are beautiful things to how the Lord responds to obedience. But how he responds to repentance is exquisitely beautiful. You never see God run in the Bible. But you only see him run in this regard. It's to rescue the repentant heart. Straight up rescue mission. And that's my call of God. As his servant. To rescue you. But you have a choice to make. Ball's in your court. Ball's in your court, straight up. I meant, yeah, I meant, I meant, mean, we read Deuteronomy 28 and it's kind of easy because it's like, okay, I want to be blown away with blessings. I don't want this, you know? So it's not like it's, in one regard, it's like, you know, it's an easy choice. But in saying these things from experience, it's not an easy choice. Because sometimes the stranglehold of those chains are very strong. Very, very strong. But there's nothing stronger than the Almighty. Absolutely nothing. Jump ship, my friend. There is a better way. His name is Jesus Christ. Verse 65, and among those nations you shall find no rest, nor shall the sole of your foot have a resting place. But the Lord will give you a trembling heart or an anxious heart, failing eyes and anguish of soul. Now, remember how Lucifer whispers. How could a loving God say this? How could a loving God? You call this a loving God? Yes, he's loving. This is a result of forgetting the Lord. This is a result of disobedience. The Lord is reactionary. He responds. Verse 66, your life shall hang in doubt before you. You shall fear day and night and have no assurance of life. Remember, 
This is old Moses. Remember, this is Deuteronomy 28. This is Moses is an old man. He's giving this discourse to this younger generation of Israel that's going to pass through the promised land. You figure like, wow, <laughs> Moses, this is some pep talk. Come on. Can you tell us the good things, Moses? No. This younger generation, they need to hear this. They need to hear this. They need to know. They need to know that the Lord is reactionary. They need to know that the Lord responds to obedience. They need to know that the Lord responds to disobedience. And they, they need to know how he does. Now, the ball's in their court. You figure, come on, Moses, an old guy. You know, Moses is an old guy. Look, he's old. He can barely move. He's Moses, come on, tell us the good stuff. We're going to the promised land, Moses. But Moses knows, almost like Paul, after my departure... Moses knows because he himself has been tried and tested. And he's telling this younger generation, this is your fight, guys. This is what you have to be cautious of. This is what the Lord is going to do. Yes, the Lord will bless. But if you forget the Lord, you disobey the Lord, you profane the Lord, it's not good. You let these other peoples become your influence? Not good. You see? And through these exhortations, yes, it's very hard, very difficult. Almost unbelievable right now for this younger generation that's about to pass to the promised land to tell this generation, if you guys forget, this is what the Lord's going to do. It's almost like, like, it almost like, doesn't fit the time because it's like, Moses, come on, this, this isn't applicable to them right now. But Moses knows there's tomorrow. There's next year. There's next decade. And in that, Moses knows that these people are going to have babies and the babies need to be taught. And those babies are going to grow and they're going to have babies and those babies need to be taught. And they're going to grow and have babies and those babies need to be taught. And all through on the lineage that the name of the Lord can pass generation to generation to generation to generation. But in the course of time, you're going to see generations who have forgotten. You're going to see it. And you're going to see terrible, ugly things in the camp of Israel. But we're going to know why the Lord responds the way he does. And through their chastisement, through their judgment, you're going to see the hand of God. Remember what Paul says, that these things written of old were written for our admonition. It's for our warning. Turn with me really quick to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter... Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Brother Paul, Pharisee of Pharisees, a student of Gamaliel, a trainer of the Kohanim of the priesthood. I just His pedigree. That's before he came to Christ, but his pedigree nonetheless, understanding Torah. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware, unaware, 
that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea, and in the sea, all ate of the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples. A model for warning is how it translates in the Greek. To the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as were some of them. As is written, the people sat down to eat, drink, and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 uh, 23, fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents, nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition or warning. It's an instruction of warning upon whom the end of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stand take heed, lest he fall. If you have a mindset of, you know, oh, this doesn't apply to me because it's Torah. I, this, this doesn't apply to me because it's Old Testament. I'm a new covenant believer. They were written for our example. So that we, you and me, together, same boat, can fear the Lord together. And how beautiful it is. The fear of the Lord. The beginning of wisdom. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 28 in closing and we see in verse 67, In the morning you shall say, Oh, that it were evening. And at evening you shall say, Oh, that it were morning. Because the fear of the Lord which terrifies your heart and because of the sight of which your eyes see. Remember, verse 63, it's the plucked. They're not home. There's no peace. Remember Colossians 2 in our study, how we reference Philippians and the peace of God which surpasses understanding? Only the real Christ gives that. Only the real Jesus gives that. Fake Christ, don't give that. Can't give that. Because they're fake. But the real Jesus can. And does. And he will. And I tell you from experience. In verse 68, and the Lord will take you back to Egypt. You see, now the Lord gives blueprints of holiness. Understand, the Lord gives blueprints of holiness, which are very specific. The ingredients of the, hormula, the, the holy formula are very, very specific. And it is true that there is rescue from bondage in Egypt. It is absolutely true. But here in verse 68, the Lord will take you back to Egypt. Did the Lord change his mind? He takes people out of Egypt? And then the Lord will take you back to Egypt? Did the Lord change his mind? No. The people changed their heart. The Lord became forgotten. It's just like Canaan. Go into Canaan. No, we're afraid. Okay, since you're disobedient, the 11-day journey is 40 years. Okay, now we're going to Canaan. Now, don't go into Canaan, because if you go, you're going to die. See, the Lord says go into Canaan, then he says don't go into Canaan. Did he change his mind? No. 
When the formula is right, go into Canaan. When the formula is wrong, don't go. It's deadly. Formula is right, out of Egypt. Formula is wrong, back to Egypt. See? Just like we looked at in Matthew 12. Formula right, okay. Unclean spirit comes out. Victory. In the course of time, the formula becomes wrong. Eight demons return. And the state of that man is worse. A New Testament example, New Covenant example of back to Egypt. Out of Egypt, demons come back, back to Egypt. You see, because the Lord is forgotten. How could the Lord be forgotten? The guy's a believer, though he had victory in the Lord. Yes, he had victory in the Lord. But there are multiple battles. Multiple battles in life as a Christian. Spiritual battles. We have to learn how to fight. Be equipped. And so we see in verse 68, And the Lord will take you back to Egypt in ships by the way of which I said to you, you shall never see it again. You see, he said, the Lord says, you won't see Egypt again. But all of a sudden, the Lord is taking them back to Egypt. I mean, mockers of the last days say, you see the, 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 the contradiction in the Bible? Look, you'll never see Egypt again. And the Lord is taking them back to Egypt. You see contradiction in the Bible? No, contradiction of heart. Contradiction of heart. Because when the Lord brings somebody out of Egypt... I mean, he's good, he's gracious, he's merciful. He's There's redemption in him. But remember, he responds to repentance. He responds to belief in Jesus Christ, his son. And it's a straight-up rescue mission. But that doesn't say the war is over. That doesn't say the war. I mean, look at... Look at people who are captured. I mean, like Vietnam War. You have like, you know, a, a, like a missing in action, you know, a, a, a prisoner of war. But then there's a rescue mission. The rescue mission, they get rescued. They come back to base camp and there's a time of healing. You know, they recuperate, they eat, they get their muscles back and little period of R&R, so to speak, but it's mostly recovery. The war's not over. And in some cases, they go back into battle. The war's not over. I mean, the one, the soul who abides in Christ will receive a glorified body. It's a promise of the Lord. But do you see how specific the formula must be? Very specific. In accordance to His Word. And even in our glorified bodies, There's the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. But then Satan is going to be loosed again and there's going to be another war. When it's over, that's like New Jerusalem. We got a long way to go. People think, okay, I want to make the rapture and it's all over. No. (laughs) That's like... Don't be deceived. There's more to the story. I mean... New Jerusalem, Zion, that's where we're going. That's the destination. That's the final destination, paradise. 
if you have a mindset like, you know, I got to make the rapture, I got to make the rapture, and, and that's it. That's not forward-looking enough. We got to be even more forward-looking. Paradise. Eyes on the prize. With Jesus Christ in paradise. It is true in verse 68. Going back to Egypt, he says, By the way of which I said to you, you shall never see it again. And there you shall be offered for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves, but no one will buy you. Whoa, there's no no market. No market for things once holy. An Old Testament example. A flavorless salt being trampled underfoot by men. Picture the younger generation. Picture a 22-year-old 20, who's like, you know, ready to attack the world, so to speak. Hearing this old man Moses say these things in this discourse to the younger generation. Wow, some pep talk. I want to hear the good stuff. I want to hear about the blessings. Understand that the fear of God is a learned thing. Yesterday, today, and forever. May we be a people who, yes, love the Lord, but never forget the fear of the Lord. To the beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.